We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Experience. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Fight Island 3, Whitaker versus Till. Paul Shaughnessy here in studio with Cody Saftik. 15 fights on the card this week, Cody. So many Lots fights. of opportunity. We're not going to waste any time. Any time whatsoever. Let's get right into the main event. We have Robert the Reaper Whitaker taking on Darren Till. Robert Whitaker is a minus-120 favorite. Darren Till can be had for a plus-100. Take it away. Yeah, it's just a dicey situation because you got to really... How much faith do you have in, in Robert Whitaker and his chin at this point? I, I think if you look at them for who they are as fighters, their styles, their achievements, and their potentials, I think Robert Whitaker is the superior fighter. He should be able to win this fight with Darren Till. But the damage that he's taken, and not only just the damage he's taken, Paul, but also just his mental state. Now, I'm not saying mental health. I'm saying his mental state. When he was the champion, he's not one of these guys that relished being the champion. He wasn't one of these guys that felt, I'm the best in the world, and you know, I want to prove it time and time again. It almost felt like it was a lot of pressure for him, and he doesn't like doing a whole lot of media. He kind of got away from the limelight. He had all these injuries. He has a bad knee. He has a bad shoulder. He spends time getting in rehab. And then when he does fight, it's just like drag him out to the death wars. So, yeah, he's only 29 years old. He's still young in his career. Or, no, he's still young in, you know, in life, not necessarily the fight game. He's been fighting for a long time. But now that he's taking on Darren Till, I mean, honestly, I get the impression that he's the superior fighter. He'll go out there. He should land the volume punches, better combinations, just more, generally more strikes in, in, in general. And uh, the one thing is, like, Darren Till has that left hand. That's his one mm. weapon, is the left hand. And that's why I think Whitaker's going to win the fight, is because Darren Till seems to have just one weapon. He throws the left hand. He throws a left body kick. He doesn't throw enough. And you look at all of his fights. It's the same thing. Fights with even Wonderboy. Wonderboy's a five-round fight. He lands 38 significant strikes through five rounds. There's nothing there. The Tyron Woodley fight, he's not even throwing strikes at all. But his last fight against Kelvin Gaslam, it's a split decision. People can laugh all they want about Kelvin Gaslam now, but it's a close fight against Gaslam. 
And what does he land? He lands 40 significant strikes. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just not enough out of him. He squeaks yep. out a split decision. With Whitaker, when Whitaker was fighting three-round fights, he's getting 70, 80 significant strikes. When he's fighting five-round fights, it's 110, 120. Mm-hmm. And that's when you get to the where there's levels of this. This guy was the legitimate middleweight champion of the world, right? You look at Israel Desanya, his title defenses are winning it over KG in a close split. And then a world's terrible fight against Yoel Romero. How great of a champion is Israel Adesanya? He's still got ways to prove. When you look at Whitaker, it's like he was the bonafide man. He's a great fighter. I mean, he's some... just got to be able to get back to that. And even if he does get hit by that left hand, be able to take the punch, roll with it, and continue to come after him. Some would argue that Yoel run, won both of them. Those, those fights were so close, but those did hurt his long-term uh, durability for sure. Robert Whitaker, here's, I'm going to be really, really quick. I got this. a quick thing to say after that, but yeah, go. Whitaker has better durability. I know he got knocked out by Adesanya, but like going, going 10 rounds with Yoel Romero, I don't think... Tough Darren rounds. Till even jokes on Twitter about how okay. he would never fight okay. Okay. Yoel Romero. That's what I was going to well, say. Well, Robert Whitaker's been locked in a cage for 10 rounds with him. Absolute wars. I know he, gave, he had some sort of surgery. I think he was giving away... Um, what's the word? A bone marrow to somebody in his family. Um, but that was at least nine months ago, and I think that was why he pulled out of the last fight that he was supposed to be in. He's had a lot of time off. I've seen some of his posts on social media. It looks to be in great shape. Looks pretty good. Honestly, like five-round experience, gas tank, uh, durability, I think, even. It all leans towards Robert Whitaker. The only questions we have is, like, did those wars ruin him, and is that durability less than we thought before? I'm willing to wager at minus 120 that uh, Robert Whitaker is still the better fighter. Much more volume as well. That's that's the real key here. Is if if Vol- this goes five rounds, Whitaker probably outstrikes him at least one and a half to one, maybe two to one on the total volume. Darren just doesn't throw. He just does not throw. In, he, he fights kind of like Luke Rockhold when Luke Rockhold was at his heyday. It's kind of like long, at range, uh, very, very... Sh- very small menu, as Robin Blackwood would say. Small menu of uh, of things that Options, he'll throw at yeah. you, right? It's Robert Whitaker for me. I've already actually bet him uh, minus one twenty. The line hasn't moved, but uh, give me yeah, give me Whitaker all day. Yeah, yeah, and that's the last thing I want to say on that is that when you think about him being the champion and all the adversity that came with being the champion, he seems in a much better, more comfortable mental state now being the challenger and you see the interviews coming out he's not the one out here talking shit it just seems like he's motivated he wants to show something he's in good shape that's what we want out of him the flip side to that is that till's posting on social media drunk all of the time right it's hilarious but you just know like oh he's saying something stupid and him going like i'll I'll fight you romero and then backtracking in the morning being like holy fuck man i was drinking with the boys last night that was a stupid tweet like lol wouldn't do that it's like Okay, that's the difference between, you know... He's he's a, he's he would a, do it if they made him. He's, but a, he's not going to ask for He's Yoel a scouser, Romero. right? And yeah, right. And, and, and Robert Whitaker is the guy that's taking this massively professionally. You know who signed on the dotted line to fight Yoel Romero multiple times? You know who fought him for 10 rounds? You know who gave him everything he had both times? Is Robert Whitaker. And the very last point I want to make on it is that everybody, you and me included, we just spent however many minutes breaking it down, but we're just talking about this strictly on the striking perspective of things. And we do think that he'll outstrike him. Yeah. But he's got a massive wrestling advantage as well. He tried you out for the Australian Olympics team, didn't he? You, well, the Commonwealth team. Commonwealth. <laughs> All the same. Uh, well, we'll talk about Mike Grundy later in Commonwealth wrestling. It's still high-level wrestling. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that's a good wrestler. Is that you don't see it because when you're fighting fucking Yoel Romero, you're you don't, you don't take him down. Use it. When you fight Jacare Souza, you don't try to take yeah, him of down. Course. But against Darren Till, it's like, ooh, here's an interesting little thing here in that Till's ground game off his back, not very good. He is a big guy, but now that they're both fighting at middleweight, they both gave up that huge welterweight stat to be mid-sized middleweights. If he takes Till down, even if he hits him with a couple punches, takes him down, he can have a lot of success there as well. So the pick
pick would be Robert Whitaker. Mauricio Shogun Hua takes on Antonio Rogerio Noguera in a rematch. These guys have fought before. A couple times. Couple it's a trilogy. Times. Uh, is it the trilogy now? Uh, we got uh, Hua is minus 185 favorite. Noguera plus 160. I guess the question here, Cody, is who is more dust? Who is more dust at this stage in their career? Well, I mean, that's definitely a, a great question. Shogun, listen, as further the record, defeated Noguera both times they fought. He defeated him in Pride. It's at 2005. And then, obviously, people will probably more remember their... Uh, their fight in the UFC, which was lackluster to say the least, considering how good the first fight was. Now you're getting a trilogy match. Shogun's already won the first two fights, and you're getting a 44-year-old version of Little Nog. Big Nog, who I met in Abu Dhabi, was absolutely a stiff wooden board, just broken down, man. I thought you were going to be like, he was absolutely a nice guy. Oh, dude, great guy, great okay, that, guy. That, that, but it, it, it looks like the guy had been hit by a fucking truck and dragged, and then turns out, I mean, dude, guy had been hit by a truck and fucking dragged. Pro fighter, he definitely has been. No, 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 remember when he was a kid, oh, though, yeah. he got physically got hit by a truck. tried to feed the bus a carrot. <laughs> well, that joke aside, <laughs> he jokes. physically did get hit by a bus. Um, little Nog's a little more, he got a little more pep in his step, let's say, but at 44 years old, there's no doubt that these guys had a career on legendary durability and the ability to take damage and the ability to sustain it. And he is a former Pan-American boxer, you know, one uh, Brazilian, uh, I think a bronze medal. He has decent technical boxing skills. Being able to take a punch and deliver a punch back, Nogueira's made a career out of it. But at this stage, I just don't know. I don't know that he's fast enough to land his hands anymore, and I don't know that he's able to just crash that pocket, take a couple punches to close the distance, and land back on you. Shogun, he is completely shot to bits, too. And mind you, I still think the striking advantage is going towards Nogueira. Even though he's 44 years old... Cleaner boxing. Way cleaner boxing. Shogun's hands are... They were never good to begin with. He had good kicks, you know, he was, he was stylish, and he had a decent chin as well. But the years have just taken over him as well. Paul Craig does not knock people out. Just doesn't, you know? Paul Craig striking, not very good. He lit him up to the tune of a 10-8 round, which is why you see Draw as his last fight against Paul Craig. Gets 10-8 in the first round, rallies back, and wins 2-3. and three. But it was that ability to rally back. At least he's not so shot to bits that he gets thrashed in the first round and his body shuts down. He got thrashed in the first round and his body kicked into gear. I don't know that Noguera can still take a beating like that. So even though this is not going to be a beating on either side, I think it's going to be a boring fight. I think it's going to be very slow-paced. I think Shogun is going to be able to do more. Again, he is that little bit younger. He has the two wins over him already. He is training at a better level right now. And I, I, I think ever so slightly, in a fight that goes the distance, which is crazy to think these two guys are probably going to go 15, I, I would say Shogun edges it out. Looking at minus 185, do I want a... Sh- absolutely shot-to-bits version of Shogun, who I do think is giving up a striking advantage and probably won't look to take down Noguera? No, not really. So I'm going to look to pass on Shogun at 185. 9,000 on DK, that's a fucking hard pass, too. Um, but as much as it's a legendary co-main event, and I, Shogun was one of my original favorite fighters, first UFC event I ever went to, UFC 113, Shogun versus Machida, I got all the love and respect for this guy in the world. But as far as a betting standpoint, minus 185, even though he should win the fight, Surefire things are not a guarantee with Shogun in 2020, so Ooh. I'm going to have to move on. Question from prop, de- prop Bet producer Pat. Yeah, not really a prop bet, but if you look at his the Noguera's pitcher here, like, how old is this guy? Like, 94? <laughs> he's very old. He's, he's 44, Shogun's 38, like, but they're both 75 he in looks fight like years. He, is he the has, main like, thing. a terrible spray. He looks like... Like, he looks like he's got... He needs a bacchiotomy, for it, sure. Like, oh, he, he definitely look, needs look, a bacchiotomy. Look, 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 look Come on. Man. 
You know why his chin's that high? His chin's so high in the air because his back's fucked. He pulled his back just before that photo. He looks like if you were to make a remake of Fight Club, but you didn't have the rights to Fight Club, that he would be like the knockoff Tyler Durden, but way too old with a spray tan. Is that a real tan or is that a spray tan? Okay, okay, okay. Pat doesn't know fighters, right? And actually, Pat's probably a bad example. We're we're all bad examples. But you, if somebody walks into a bar and you had to fight the guy on the left and the guy on the right, and you don't know either guy. You're telling me you'd rather fight the guy on the right? I don't know. Fuck that. Dude, Sometimes look how weather-beaten he's. This man knows how to combat. This man knows how to combat. This fucking serial killer. The other guy on the left used to be a male look model, at, yeah, by the way. Mauricio, you just have to take one look at, at Shogun's nose and be like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, you wouldn't want to fight either guy. Let's be real. Both of these guys' noses are shot to bits. Their ears are absolutely mangled. Like, yeah, These guys have both been through wars. I'm with you. I think Shogun wins. Shogun maybe could get a finish here. Like... Big Nog, we haven't yeah, seen him in so sure, long. Sure. We haven't seen him in so long. He could just be absolute. Like, he was already dust. Now we haven't seen him in a long time. And he He's got gonna... smoked out the last time we did see him. So. Yeah. Well, so. well, why are these guys fighting then? Is this like when you see, like, it's Bret fight... Hart versus Vince McMahon at WrestleMania? It's like, it's oh, let's throw them on the curb. Fight Island. these people are. No, it's I like Fight this. Fight Island. They're probably buddies with Dana, and they said, hey, we've had a lot of wars for you. We want to come to the island. And Dana's like, cool. I, I don't, I see, I don't know if it's that straightforward. What I would say is that their, their first fight was like a legendary tilt. Like, these these guys went to absolute yeah. fucking battle. It's it's ranked as the seventh greatest light heavyweight fight of all time and the 42nd greatest fight of all time. And it happened 15 years ago. It was a fucking great fight. They booked a rematch on the basis of how good the first fight. It just didn't deliver. Now you're 2020. Shogun just almost got killed by Paul the Bear Jew Craig in a stand-up battle. He had to, <laughs> ra- he had to use his grappling to bail his fucking ass out. And, and Noguera just got dusted out by Ryan Spann. Non-competitive. Really bad look. Mm-hmm. Who do you match these guys up with? Now Noguera's already uh, yeah, Noguera's already got on the record and being like, I'm retiring after this fight. So what do you let him do? Do you let him get KO'd in the first round by some uh, up-and-coming prospect? No, somebody no, that he's no, familiar no. So, with. So I like the fight. I like the fight. But on an entertainment, on a purely entertainment standpoint, it's not going to be the most entertaining of fights. No. It probably, yeah. It's uh, not the first one. Put it yeah, that they, way. these guys know each other's tricks. So, yeah, a, a real slow paced, kind of depressing decision is probably the most likely, or the, probably the most likely outcome. Uh, let's move on. We got Alexander Gustafson taking on Fabricio Verdum at 265 pounds. I thought. Alexander Gustafson retired. I thought he had too many concussions. So now he wants to move up to 265. I never, like, he's tall, but I never really thought that he was, like... He was, I never really thought he was destined for 200. And, I never thought he was destined for heavyweight, to be perfectly honest. Um, minus 350, Gustafson. Massive price tag on Fabricio, or after Fabricio Verdum. I mean, he looked pretty bad, obviously, last time out. Maybe or maybe not. He had covid um, being that close to Jackeray all the time. Uh, obviously, they're getting tested and all that stuff. Minus 350, too much to pay for Gus here, uh, spe- specifically in the situation that we're in? A hundred percent. You know, part of me would even like to take a little tiny feeler at Gus. The problem is 350. It's like, whoa, no, that's a lot. I have to have a lot of confidence on this. And in fact, it's a price that money's coming in on Gus. I'm just not fully de- agreeing with it. And I said a couple weeks back, right? Friends don't let friends bet on guys that lost to Anthony Smith. And in that fit- fight against Anthony Smith, Gus not only just didn't do anything, then he ended up quitting on himself and then retiring. This is done for me. Mm-hmm. So now that he comes back, he suddenly got the itch again, and he's going to compete at heavyweight. It's all just a lot of question marks. Question marks that I don't even want to be thinking about when it comes to minus 350. Now, Fabrizio Verdum looked awful his last time out against Alexei Olenek. But you've got to keep in mind that he had just served a two-year suspension from USADA. So he hasn't competed in a long time. 
time. He's now in his early 40s. He's an older guy. He's got mad ring rust coming off the big layoff. His timing's way off, and he looked like shit in the first round and a half against Alexei Olenek. But then he started to find his rhythm a little bit. Alexei got tired, but he started to figure it out a little bit. So now you see him in this fight week. He looks to be physically in better shape than he was in the Olenek fight. He's fought, you know, more. he's got the more recent fight, so he's at least got that ring time in him. And being that he's a naturally bigger guy, if he just falls to the ground and ends up on top of Alexander Gustafson, do, do we not think that Fabrice Overdoom is a massive grappling edge? No. As far as the striking no, goes, of course Gus does, is yeah. way faster. Gus has got cleaner strikes. Um, he's got the better technical boxing. The problem is, just like the Anthony Smith fight, he just didn't let his hands go. Verdum at this stage doesn't really let his hands go a whole lot either. But if it's going to be relatively close in these stand-up exchanges, and Fabrizio is able to press him up against the cage, be the bigger man, bully him up a little bit, maybe he gets some takedowns. 350 is just the kind of price Way tag too much. you just don't want. And then Guff's coming out and being all, you know, I sparred with this guy and I kicked his fucking ass and this and that. And it was like a sparring match from like seven years ago and saying he broke his nose and... I don't know. I don't know if I say, oh, geez, Gus is feeling good. He's feeling. That's why I want the feeler on. Geez, he's feeling good. He's feeling confident. If he fights to, you know, his ability, moving up from 205 to heavyweight, that ain't shit. That's my honest opinion on it. My honest opinion is that heavyweight is so deprived. Depends on who you take on. Though. No, heavyweight is so deprived. Yeah, okay, fair. If he match goes up and match takes match on Frankie Murder, who's 250 well, that's pounds the fucking of chiseled, uncrowned champ, of chiseled He's not going to go like up and that, fight he's Frankie. He's giving up a lot of size there. But I totally get what it. I'm Some saying, of these 230-pound heavyweights, like Gus is the same size as them. No, no doubt. But I'm saying if you look at just how the, it's such a barren landscape of heavyweight, all the decent heavyweights are old. So a guy like uh, Daniel Cormier, yeah, who fought at heavyweight? He's a 205er. Geez, he sees the opportunity. He moves up. He has a lot of success. Ryan Bader. Ryan Bader moves up to heavyweight. He's just running through these guys like like nothing. Well, what's it? It just... You know what? I, I cut down from 230 to 205, so now I just won't cut. I'll be 230, and I can go. I still have that wrestling. I can have all that. So Gus coming up to 230, I don't mind. I think he will have the speed advantage. He stays on the outside. He's still the longer man, and he outpoints Fabrice Overdoom. This fight, probably, if Gus is going to win, is going to be a three-round decision. Gus stays on the outside and picks him apart. But 350 is just a bad price tag. So if I want to improve it, I take Gus by decision. But I don't even know what that is right now. Pat would tell me. And it's not, it's not going to be a great number, I don't think. So I think I think he made me take another pass. You'd be on it. surprised. Gus by decision is so just the fight in general to go to decision is plus one twenty five. Okay, what's Gus by decision? Uh, it's only three rounds. By Gus, decision, Gus quit in uh, the fourth against Anthony Smith. It's just almost two to one. It's plus one ninety. Yeah, it's only a three round fight though. Sorry, was two to one? Two it, to one. It's okay. Plus yeah. 190 well, then 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 decision. then that would be my honest piece of advice. Is okay. that Gus, betting Gustafson these days is. Is like fucking. Betting it's like, it's like off of a retirement, dude. It's you'd rather trust the taquito at two a.m. at the Seven Eleven. I mean, fighters retire all the time and like retire all the time. They don't actually retire, but that doesn't mean I have to step in line to bet them at minus three fifty. Moving up a weight class, coming yeah, off coming off a, a, the worst defeat of his career. He looked, dog, he looked awful. It's dog or pass for me here. Well, then um, look at Fabrice Overdoom. I mean, okay. right now it's a pass, but we'll see how they look at the weigh-ins. We'll see how the rest we'll, of the we'll week We'll move on, out. but, but well, last question for you. If, let's say you take Fabrizio. I, I don't think that's a bad call. Let's say he presses him against the cage. Let's see if he grinds him out. Do you think Fabrizio finishes Alexander Gustafson in 15? I could see a decision, to be honest. So what's Fabrizio Overdoom by decision? It's like plus 800. I've been considering it. Yeah. Props to my friend uh, Bo for pointing that out. Because people would love to say by submission. And by it the is, way, it is plus 800. Anthony, yeah, yeah. No, Anthony I know. Smith it's, it's already on the radar. I've been thinking about it. But, but yeah. I haven't, I haven't played it. Don't play it yet. I just want to see. I want to see Fabricio looked like. Uh, he's really looked he like he look doesn't bad. have he three, really three rounds ca- cardio recently. Yeah, yeah. So that's my main concern before biting the bullet there. Hopefully, Fabricio has spent the last few weeks 
getting his shit together, getting in a little. He's always going to have that little fat. Pat, he's like, a big he's guy. Like me. Yeah, it's like me. It's like me. I'm not a big guy, guy. but like well, he's always going to have guy. that little like fat pouch. You know, a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of cushion for the pushing. I guess he's in his forties as well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right, we got Marina Rodriguez taking on Carla Esparza. Minus one eighty Rodriguez, plus one sixty Esparza. I mean, this fight is pretty straightforward. Can R- Marina Rodriguez stop the takedown attempts from Carlos Esparza? Yeah, listen, Carlos Esparza has been a little ATM for us, and uh, all the past grievances we've had about her, all forgiven. They were water- all your grievances. <laughs> My grievances against her, all forgiven, water under the bridge. I love me some Carlos Esparza. Is she a live dog in the spot? Yeah, she's a live dog in the spot, and definitely... By decision. If you are going to take mm. her, she's going to get some takedowns. She's going to be able to hold Marina Rodriguez down. It's just I do struggle with thinking that she's got the physicality to get it done in this spot. She's done a really good job over the last three fights of just taking, using one of her advantages. Either she's got a wrestling advantage over you or she's got a striking advantage over you. If she can get you down and grind you, that's what she's going to do. When she's not able to do that, her striking is not top class, but she's willing to throw. And against a lot of these fighters that just don't let their hands go, she's just able to grind them out ever so slightly. The Michelle Watterson fight's a good example. When Carlos gets her wrestling going, geez, her wrestling's good. But she starts to struggle with the takedowns the later the fight goes. Now, Watterson, superior striker, should outstrike her. She just doesn't let her hands go. And Esparza mark, leads the march, gets off first, lands the punches, gets the decision. The fight with Grosso, same thing. Grosso is a Mexican boxer, right? She doesn't really have that ground game. Use the wrestling against her. Use your striking in spots to be aggressive but then get this girl down. When I think about Marina Rodriguez, she has struggled with the grappling in the past. People do not want to stand with her. She's got good cardio. She's long. She's rangy. She packs a good punch. You need to grind this girl up against the cage, hold her down, whatever you can to neutralize her. But I feel like she's improving in that area every fight because she's probably spending a lot of time in the gym working on that. And with the spars being so much shorter than Marina Rodriguez, if she doesn't get those takedowns, even if she gets the takedowns in the first round, JJ versus Esparza. She's going to stay on the outside of the punches. And when she's on the outside of the punches, one thing about Esparza is she's not cutting and bleeding, but she wears damage fucking Mm -hmm. very poorly. You hit her a couple times and it just starts to swell and it bruises and it's a bad look for the judges, but she's hustling forward. She's coming forward. I think in this spot, she's not getting those takedowns as scrappy as she is and as, as durable as she can be and as many looks as she can present Rodriguez, it would be a tough out. The minus 180 on Rodriguez is what I'm struggling at. So I said the same thing. You know what? I'll just take Rodriguez by decision. Going back to your analogy of the JJ fight, it's the same thing. It's like you can only stay on the outside of these punches for so long. They will add up. And that's the problem with Esparza. She'll get desperate. If she can't get the takedowns and she can't strike with you, she'll get desperate. When she gets desperate, she's going to get touched up. When she gets touched up, it could be a late round stoppage. So not comfortable taking by decision or by stoppage. Could go either way, I think. The minus 180, not a great price tag, but but she is the pick. So I'm going to have to go with Rodriguez 180. That's fair. Uh, We got Paul Craig taking on Gadzimarad Antigulov. Paul Craig. Minus 125 favorite Antigulov can be had for plus 105. Here's the thing. Gad's Antigulov comes out and he tries to kill you for about like two, two and a half minutes. If that doesn't work and it hasn't worked his last two fights, (laughs) he crumbles and dies. The guy has been outside of the first round once, I believe, in the last like six years. And that's like including regional scene, like taking on cans and stuff like that. Um, he's a one-round fighter. He's gonna come. He's gonna try to kill the Bear Jew, and I'm and uh, and if he doesn't kill Paul the Bear Jew, Craig, then Craig's gonna take over. Craig's not exactly some sort of crazy finisher, but he has shown like against Ankalaev, he'll hang around. 
He's very durable. Kennedy and Jakku. It was the same thing. He'll, he just, he just, just ass kicked long enough. He's got the Homer you. Simpson strategy, like <laughs> from that. Homer Simpson's boxing. He's yeah. like, he is going to take punishment, but he's got the gas tank and durability to survive. And it doesn't take much with Gads. It's like, if he survives the first three minutes of a Gads onslaught, I'm leaning towards Paul Craig winning this fight. I have not bet a side here because I could totally see Gads just going out there and just, and just absolutely flatlining them in the first two minutes what i have i do like i see a minus 350 out there fight inside the distance i think that's a very good par- uh, parlay piece this week like gads hasn't been to a third maybe not even in the one crew. time he got out of that like you said six years the one time he got out of the first round was the second round <laughs> yeah like he, it was a and second I, round submission and i bet the under one and a half at minus 125 yeah, I, see, the over-under, I mean, one has to assume it's going to be the under because Anti-Gulov just absolutely goes for it. And, I don't think and you can Paul fight Craig, for seven and a half minutes. Yeah, Paul Craig showed a propensity to get these late buzzer-beater submissions, but in the fight with Shogun, he was all first round as well. I mean, he massively gassed out after attempting to kill Shogun in round one. So, yeah, I think that cardio is going to be an issue with both of these guys. They both list themselves as... 33. Andy Gulov is not 33 years old. Pull up a picture old. of Andy Gulov. <laughs> Bring up a picture of, yeah, the side-by-side. Side. You'll see Paul Craig's legitimately 33. He, like, Andy Gulov has to be at least 45. When he made his UFC debut against Marcos Rogerio de Lima, my inside Russian source, he tells me this guy's lied about his age <laughs> and only has one ACL. It's gone in the other one. That's why I says, oh, so fade him against Marcos Rogerio de Lima, who is my career fate. And he's like, no, no, he'll, he'll probably win that one. And he does. He gets the guillotine. Thank God he ended in the first round because he's not built to fight more than that. No. The fight against Joaquin Christensen, same thing. Christensen's a fake black belt, and this guy's too strong. He's going to get on top of him. He gets on top of him. He submits him. Perfect. As soon as they gave him the step up in competition, and mind you, tough enough guys, young Kudalaba, and then, uh, and then Prince Michael, it just doesn't, doesn't belong at that level, right? So now you figure, okay, he's not 33. The guy's got to be closer to 37, 38 years old. He probably still has one b- bum knee. So that's why he fights like he wants to get out of there in the first round. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be able to fight a whole lot longer than the first round. And against Paul Craig, it's like, yeah, you know what? If you do get him to the ground, he's durable enough, I think, that he's able to not get submitted. He doesn't deal well with ground and pound off his back. But again, Andy Gulov only going to give him some heat for the first five minutes. He should be at, able to at least survive the first five minutes. But one thing I'll give Paul Craig... 33 years old, bit of a late starter in MMA, turned pro at 25. He is making improvements. So you see him against mm-hmm. Ankaliyev, and it's like, in what world does he beat Ankaliyev? But he sticks in the fight long enough to get a bullshit triangle. Oh, the Kennedy and Jakubu fights, like, oh, raw talent against a tricky fighter. Tricky fighter's got that trick up his sleeve. But it's the Shogun fight where it's like, I'm on record being like, Paul Craig can't knock out anybody. And he does not knock out Paul Craig. Paul Craig's hands in that fight much improved. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that is making improvements. Sure. And so I think that we're going to see a slightly better version of Paul Craig in this fight. And even the version we've seen in the past is good enough. Get out of the first five minutes. And then, like you said, could get definitely stoppage in play. And Paul Craig's wrestling improved. Taking down Anti-Gulov going to be hard in the first round. But tire this man out and then get on top of him and then pound away at him. Stoppage definitely in play. Paul Craig definitely in play. And I think at 125, listen, it's a, it's a highly volatile fight volatile. between two fucking bottom of the barrel fighters in the division. However, you've got pretty much the bottom of the barrel in Anti-Gulov against Paul Craig, who I, I'm not totally dissatisfied with. He has shown me some spots. You look like you had a question, Pat? Yeah, so this is like a pure DraftKings fight. Like You're going to oh, want yeah. one of these two guys. Yeah, I would take, imagine so. We'll yeah. get there. We'll get there. But, but just yeah, the way I'm gonna, you I'm gonna play. It. I'm gonna play anti Gulov because I feel like so. This was a this was a pick 'em a couple days ago, and on DraftKings it's 8200. So anti Gulov is the more expensive guy, and I think anti Gulov the way he fights, he's trying to get that first round finish. So a guy 8200 trying to get the finish, 
I mean, if you get to two and a half minutes into the fight, you're probably you're probably pooched at that point. But uh, yeah, I'll probably I think Craig will end up being really really owned because you know it was minus one ten on both sides uh, earlier in the week, and now it's minus one twenty five. And I agree with that line movement. I think it's more likely that Paul Craig withstands the early onslaught and then and then uh, cleans him up either. You Second hope, round, third round, but gets I mean, him. I hope, You're it, I hope one it's and a half. in the first seven and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah. But I could see a third, an early third round stoppage as well. Like, of course, it's a minus one twenty five for that under. I mean, they're not always going to win, but uh, I don't like God's chances to get out of the first round against just about anybody at light heavyweight. Uh, Alex Oliveira takes on Peter Sabata one minus one seventy five. Cowboy Oliveira plus one fifty five. Peter Sabata, you got any hot takes on this one? Yeah, and I'm not understanding why the line's only 175 considering some of these other prices. Shogun's 185, you know, Marina Rodriguez is minus 180. What, what, what don't we like against Cowboy Oliveira? My issue with Peter Sabata, and here's a guy that I have backed in the past, is that, geez, man, he's a, he's a pretty good BJJ black belt. I mean, he's a planet eater BJJ black belt under Dean Lister, you know, fucking awesome grappler. And, uh, and his grappling has looked super serviceable anyways, but it's, it's, it's his... He's one of those guys that, because he's not afraid to end up on his back, he's not afraid to grapple, that he'll just throw whatever he wants standing. His striking, not very good, but he throws a lot of kicks. And it was a good little recipe for picking up wins. He just stays at the outside and just kicks and just kicks and just kicks. Just outpoints you. At any point you decide you want to come at him, he can just fall to his back, or he can then close the gap, try to clinch up with you, try to get you to the ground. But he's just so inactive. I mean, Peter Sabata made his UFC debut way back in, oof, 2000, I guess, yeah, 2004. 15? 2015 is his UFC debut, right? Since then, he fight a few times a year, you know, here and there, whatever. Or sorry, I'm 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 fucking way off on that. Peter Sabata's UFC debut is way before 2015. He made his UFC debut in 2009, right? Mm-hmm. Fights in 2009, loses his first three fights in the UFC. Went 0 and 3 in the UFC between 2009 2010 and cut. Now we're 10 years later. He's made his return to the UFC. Picked up wins over Ben Saunders. His win over Dolby was okay. Stephen Kennedy, Powell Pawlik, Ben Saunders, lost to Kyle Noak. Outside of his fight with Leon Edwards, it's been kind of that mid-range pack of guys. He's kind of struggled with that. He's 33 now. He's coming off a two-year layoff. He needs to get Oliveira down, and he will have the grappling or advantage. Or he needs Oliveira to take him down and, and then catch him in a submission. Staying on the outside with Oliveira and using that kick game I talked about is not a good idea because Oliveira will just charge the distance, he'll close the distance, he'll be backing you up and it won't look very good for the judges' scorecards. As far as getting Oliveira to the ground, he's just a lot stronger than him, mm-hmm. right? So Oliveira coming off a three-fight losing streak in his last fight against uh, Max Max Payne Griffin, uh, I backed him here. This is a guy, you, Oliveira will give you a good effort or a bad effort and we, we, don't, we don't know, how to, this is how you tell. Very hard for us to tell, but this is how you tell. How fucking hungry is the guy in his stomach? Because he's got eight kids. And if he's got money to pay the bills, he's got ten kids. Ten motherfucking kids, this guy. With like eight different women. He's about to have the tenth. So maybe some baby swag. I think Vince, uh, Big Vince pointed out. When he's got money in his pocket, he fights like he just doesn't really give a shit and allows rounds to get away from him, makes bonehead decisions, throws spinning techniques when there's just no service in it. His cardio looks off. And then when the guy knows, oh man, I'm in my job's on the line. I need to fight here. You see a hungrier version of him. You see a better version of him. He's only a year younger than Peter Sabata, but he's got a lot more to give. I'm hoping the win over Griffin was just enough for him to get over that mental hurdle of the losing streak. He's back motivated. Got that kid, that 10th baby on the way, Paul. He needs to get going, and he needs to just be the aggressor, push forward, either get Sabata, just muscle him around in the clinch, if it is going to be a clinch, but just outpoint this guy standing. You've got the heavier strikes. He might throw a little more output, but you've got the tools to just rough him up and get this victory. 175, though, 
it seems like a too good to be true price tag. Like what mm. what don't we like against Alex Oliveira? So that's I don't like where Brazilians fighting on Fight Island. Yeah, that and because time change and everything like that. Like it's it's really been. It seems to me. I don't have the data. It seems like the Russians have just been cruising over on Fight Island. Yeah, because if you're from Dagestan, the time difference is is negligible. Whereas you're flying over there, it's like seven, eight hours, depending on where you're coming from. Um, and they're basically, in terms of your regular time, a biological clock, they're fighting like in the middle of the night, right? Yeah, and I would say as well, if you're a lot of the Brazilian fighters who, they, I don't want to say they've been gassing out because you can't just classify them all in one category. Oh, they're all gassing out. But it's like, well, you have seen a lot of them gas out, right? Alex Oliveira's case, he's known to gas out. Mm-hmm. And he, he's not coming from Brazil. He's coming, I believe he's still at American Top Team. He might be back in Brazil. Either way. But regardless, it's time, like, right, re- regardless. A North trip, Americans haven't been the greatest either. It's a trip Russian like that, yeah, a trip pounding. like that is going to affect you, right? Making that time to travel, making that distance. And then the second you get there, you have to quarantine. So now you're quarantined in the hotel room for 14 days. How are you getting your cardio in? How are you working out? Like, how are you, how are you staying in tip-top shape? You know, you're cutting your weight all by yourself. Like, there's a lot of question marks that go around it. So, yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe it's just, like, Alex Oliveira is not a trustworthy guy. 175 is just still too deep of a price tag. But for my money's worth, I look at it, and I, I don't seem scared of that. I've seen that's a very reasonable price tag for Cowboy Oliveira over Peter Sabata at this stage. Ready for this one? I'm ready. It's Hamzat Kimaev fight week. He's minus 1,200. Reese McKee can be had for plus 775. Um, I, I noticed recently that you had your five-year uh, anniversary. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to you and... Uh, My lady friend. And your lady friend on all of that. So it made me think about, like, relationships. And, you know, I've been a fan of Habib for a long time. And, you know, there's been the injuries and people make fun of some of his uh, political associations and stuff like that. Not make fun, but, you know. Some strange political There's some weird stuff going on there. And then there's all the injuries, and he doesn't really fight all that often. And when you've been in a relationship for a long time, it's not that you're ever going to leave that person. You're looking for a side piece. Somebody else kind of walks in, and maybe the eyes start to wander a little bit. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe the eyes start. Uh They come in. They've got the same beard, but it's a little bit longer. You know, the same wrestling, but they go towards that wrestling even faster. The striking looks like it probably is still a work in progress. We didn't see very much of it he's got some in raw his power, debut. Though. But he's got some raw yeah, power, which, which my boy Habib, nicer boxing, maybe too. cleaner boxing, but he wasn't always like that. Uh-huh. I'm, I got a big time, big time fight crush here. A big time stiffy by the sounds of it. Oh, man. This guy is going to be... I mean, minus 1,200, it's... What are you going to really do with that line? Inside the distance or by decision? Are you on him so much he's just going to smash him like Phillips or what? Because John I've Phillips always, actually... I've always talked about it with Habib, and it's just like, if our game plan is to do this... You don't I need mean, to finish. Like, we don't need to finish. I we know. just dominate the entire time. Um, DraftKings will end up playing him. He's 9,800 this week, but, I mean, I'm not... I'm, not, I'm no coward. I'm definitely going to play him. Um, and hopefully, hopefully other people don't go to him at that price tag. But, uh, I mean, the guy looks like the total package. I mean, he talks about smash. He's very, when they said on the, uh, UFC broadcast before that he was Habib 2.0, as soon as I heard that, I was just like, I was on defense. I was like, how dare you, Megan O'Levy say that he's Habib 2.0 within like 20 seconds into that fight. I was just like, I'm, I love this guy. He's going to be really good. He's going to be a big problem for the rest of the division. Um, 
Reese McKee watching his, he had a fight about two fights ago. I forget the name of the guy. It was some journeyman like Bama. Uh, he wrestled him, held him up against the cage. Just watching like a few minutes of that, I was just like, oh yeah, Reese McKee has no it's over. shot. Unless it's he over. just, 12 to 1. it's like yeah, lucky punch. On. That's the only way that Hamza Kamaya, from what I have seen, this guy's the absolute, he's an absolute stud. Um, and he's only getting better. And this is the fastest turnaround. Everyone always makes fun of Habib for never fighting. This guy's, this is the fastest turnaround in UFC history. I mean, and he's moving down to 170. In most situations, not a great spot. You fought at 185, now you're going down to 170. But I don't think this guy is most guys. I think this guy should be able to cruise in this spot. Yeah, not only is he 185 coming down to 170, but Rizmikiza, 55, or coming up to 170. Yep. His last fight against Hakan Foss was at 170, but prior to that, he's a career lightweight. He fought for the Cage Warriors 155-pound mm-hmm. title. Uh, e- even he's got a draw against Richie Smullen, who probably most people will remember. remember. Yep. Tough veteran, yeah, right. Richie Smullen fights in Bellator at 145 pounds and fought to him to a draw on the basis of the grappling. He is largely outgunned here. He's going to get taken down. He's going to get probably similar to John Phillips. Once he does get taken down, he's going to get a Dagestani handcuff on him. He's not going to be able to move. He's going to eat a lot of punches. None of these punches are concussive blows, but a hundred of them in the face suddenly becomes a concussive blow. You just can't take it. It all depends who the ref is. If the ref's one of those guys that's willing to let you die and keep working, sure. If the ref sees 30 unanswered punches, he's going to stop the fight. And there will be at a certain point in this fight 30 unanswered punches. I think Chimaev... You don't want 1,200. You can't even parlay that, really. There's just too much risk there. Uh, you, if you got to take him by decision or by or by TKO, I don't uh, think he submits risk. What's Rizmi inside Keith. the distance? Pat, do you know? It'd yeah, uh, Chimeyev inside the distance is minus 430. You don't even touch that. You no. just pass and on the spot. Chimeyev by, yeah, you just pass by on the decision is plus 560. We're not, yeah. Well, you'd have to really bank on Rizmi Key, who's been finished one time. The mm-hmm. problem is, is that he's been finished at 155 fucking he's pounds. Fought a guy yeah, now, now he's taking it. Right, and it's not even like, like you're saying with, well, you know, Khabib, used to just go through the routine. People used to complain, but we used to just laugh and fucking rub our hands together. The finishes came. This kid's already finishing people. He's not never been a decision. He finishes people in the first round. Yeah. John Phillips was lucky to get to the second round, and then he got finished. So the reason I am going to pass is the, the last thing here well, is it's that... It's hard to bet this fight. Yeah, just 1,200 is too big of a price tag. But the one thing with Rizman Key is that he's got 10 pro wins. He's got 10 finishes. He's knocked out seven opponents. He's got three submissions. His submissions are triangles, which is very great against a Russian opponent that's going to look to take you down and beat on you. But above all else, he's a 12 to 1 underdog who's making his UCDB. He's got nothing to fucking lose. He might just go caution of the wind and just throw a bomb. Mm-hmm. And at 12 to 1, anything could happen. But I think Shemayev gets this guy down and beats on him. To be honest, I just talked about how the TKO and maybe it grinds, but now I'm looking at that decision prop. Because it's just, it'll, it'll, it's just so I would, it's just say, so I would say wait on the decision so prop juicy. because as the week goes on, more people are going to pound that inside and the I, distance. And, and, and that's the thing. I can, like I just talked about you, I can see the inside the distance. It's disrespecting the, the, the 15-minute decision because so many people were so impressed by that debut. Holy shit, look how good this man looked. He's going to be killing everybody. He's going to do this to everybody. He's going to be TKing everybody. He's the flavor du jour now. Now he's a 12 to 1 favorite. Now everyone assumes he's going to get the knockout. But I mean, John Phillips absolutely rolled Had no over. ground game. And Rizma Key is smaller than John Phillips and will probably struggle with the exact same, with the exact same problems. However, geez, if you're going to give me a whiff of plus 500 for this guy just to survive. I might be inclined to take a poke at that, but I think the smart play here, because you don't want to parlay this at those odds, you can't make any money on a straight bet, even by TKO, it's not great odds. Sadly, we're going to have to pass on Shemaev, but we'll yeah. enjoy the fight. We're not going to be able to bet this guy very much for a bit, um, but it's going to be very, very exciting watching it all unravel. Pat? So if you don't want to go to the distance, you lose the 5-1, to one. but if you go over 1.5 rounds, it's 2-1. to one. 
Yeah. Oh. I would have to think further, but I don't know. Yeah, there's 15 fights on this card, so I'll figure out my best plays first, and then I'm most definitely going to have a look at some of that, take a shot at some uh, some plus money for <laughs> From sure. what I saw from Reese McKee in, like, Bama, getting, like, his first first loss or whatever, it, whew, or his second loss, I guess it was. I mean, he doesn't look like he stands a chance. Like, he's going to get taken down and just bodied. Absolutely. Unless, yeah, he's got to land a lucky but punch. But Chemayev and Phillips is the exact same way. Yeah. And Chemayev comes in and Phillips fucking hits him with a decent right hand. And then he just takes him right down. He took him down in like two seconds. Right. And now I think that's the only punch that Phillips lands. Yeah. It's like five seconds into the first round, he lands a punch and then he gets taken we down. We don't know how good this guy's chin McKee's is. but is likely in the same You know, these boat. Chechnyan, Dagestani guys, typically. But hey, Islam Makachev, a real, you know, guy climbing the ranks, obviously Habib's cousin. He got knocked out by Adriano Martins way back when. Everyone forgets about that now, but oh, shit happens in MMA. Him. Crazy shit can happen. I think um, of rolls. It's just a course. big, big, big price. Uh, Francisco Trinaldo takes on Jai Herbert. 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 Jai Herbert. Jai Herbert. Uh, Trinaldo, minus 160, Hebert, plus 140, got any takes here? Yeah, actually, Francisco Trinaldo is not fighting Jay Hebert. No, that's switch. No, Where no, that switch? he's actually fighting Father Time. <laughs> at, at what point is he going to slow down, man? I mean, sure to God, at some point, Francisco Trinaldo, Maserunduba, the great, has to not look like... Not that they got him to the island. Yeah, no, for sure. Listen, I mean, Duba's been on all of the undercards for like a decade now. He is just like. absolute entertainment personified. You want him on all your cards because it's either going to be a greasy shit show of a fight that's entertaining or he looks good and it's entertaining. But one thing about him, he don't look 41 years old. He just comes out there every time. His cardio doesn't seem to be an issue. Uh, his strength doesn't seem to be an issue. He's got good striking. His grappling's fantastic. His top game, good. Wrestling, pretty good. Aggressive. Chin checks out. It's like, man, where is this guy's flaw? Now, he doesn't particularly deal good with rangy fighters. You saw him a few fights back, uh, the James Vick fight most notably, because, you know, James Vick, Vick is a tall, you know, rangy boxer, and he loses the James Vick fight. It's like he doesn't close distance particularly well. One thing with Trinaldo, I don't know it's because I say cardio checks out, but he doesn't have good cardio. It's that he's such a savvy veteran. He knows how to only exert himself when he needs to exert himself. And that's a kind of a problem against these taller guys is that maybe they'll just get off a little bit too quick. Uh, Jay Herbert is long. He's a tall, long, rangy guy. He's going to have the reach advantage. He's a good striker. He's going to probably be able to outstrike Trinaldo in spots from the outside. It's whether or not Trinaldo is still that same guy that's going to be able to take the punches, take the damage, get inside, be aggressive, get a hold of this guy. It, Herbert doesn't have great takedown defense. So Master Nduba goes in there, pressures him against the cage, gets him to the ground. But wrestling is tiring. And again, he doesn't love to exert himself overly good. Yeah, he beat John Mc... He's on a two-fight winning streak, John, uh, John McDessie, Bobby Green. He didn't look good in the Bobby Green fight. I thought he lost. The John McDessie fight is John McDessie. So I think that there's a re recency bias in that, oh, yeah, he's won his last two fights and he doesn't seem to be slowing down. I think that Herbert at minus 140, or plus 140, sorry, is a live dog. But he's making his UFC debut over a proven commodity. Mm -hmm. We've seen this shit before. I think that the savvy veteran does get the job done, but he's not he's not someone I'm running, even though he's got such a good proven track record. So one of his last two fights, 160 is appealing 
debuting guy with not great grappling. Recipe for disasters on the wall that Master Nduba does mail it in once in a while, and he's probably due for one. And Jay Herbert is the kind of guy that could capitalize based on that reach, based on the striking acumen, based on being able to just be the faster guy and stay to the outside. So that's a hard pass for me, although I am looking at the dog plus 440, and as far as DK goes, $7,700. It's very hard to score against Master Nduba because he just slows paces down to a grind. So even though $7,700 dog money, it seems good on DK, probably not the greatest play. Nicholas Dalby takes on Jesse Ronson. Nicholas Dalby, minus 255 favorite. Jesse Ronson could be had for plus 215. My initial reaction, just kind of looking at this line, Isaiah. Uh, Dalby's always in these close decisions. Like That's pretty much like every fight for the majority of his career. And I just don't know how much I want to be betting close decisions at minus 255 over at Fight Island right now. Um not much interest in Dolby, especially when we get to DraftKings, like 9,200. Like, I don't think the guy's ever thrown 92 strikes in a fight. And that's like, even find find me the compu strike numbers from like Cage Warriors or something. I bet you he's never even landed that many strikes in a fight. So I don't know how he would uh, deliver unless he gets some sort of finish. Um, this one's just a straight up pass for me. What about you? Yeah, so I don't like the price tag two fifty five Dolby, so I would have to try to chase Dolby by decision to try to get some some better value yeah, on that. Just outright, Jesse Ronson is no joke. I mean, I I've been on record many times as saying Jesse Ronson, skill for skill, is one of the best Canadian fighters we currently have. I mean, the guy does it all well. He strikes well. He can wrestle well enough. Offensive wrestling not great. Defense wrestling not bad. Um, he, he he's a smart fighter. He's got decent cardio. He's got good chin. He's got good grappling. Like he does, he's a generalist. He does everything well. Striking is his is his forte, and he is a good striker. But he's just never really seemed to be able to get over the hump, right? He's already fought in the UFC three times. And it's crazy to think that he's fought in the UFC three times. He lost three split decisions. Like, how does that happen to somebody? And the UFC cuts him. Well, you're only three in the UFC. Three split decisions. Now, those decisions, I, I don't know who scored the fight for him personally. He lost three unanimous decisions. It just goes into the record book as a split decision. He spent the rest of his career trying to get back to the UFC. Talks a lot of game on social media. I should be in the UFC. I'm better than half of the roster. I want my spot. I want my spot. Calls his spot. Then when he does get that chance to, to, to shine, here's the spotlight. Never quite overcomes it. So him just simply getting that shot back in the UFC. Um, his manager's Daniel Rubenstein. Rubenstein put him on this notice. UFC said, hey, we're looking for fighters. Keep them on standby, right? Mm-hmm. Jesse Ronson is a lightweight fighter. He says, I would like to fight at lightweight. Jesse Ronson's a big lightweight. So his problem is that he's botched weight cuts in the past, and the UFC actually told him, you'll never fight in the UFC ever again because he pulled out of that. What did he fucking fight? Did he pull out? He pulled out of a fight 2018. Oh, Diego Ferrer. He's supposed to fight UFC 231, Holloway Ortega, and Ronson unable to make weight. And yeah, that's when. Uh... So he took the fight short notice and then called him and was like, I can't actually make 55. And Sean Shelby was so disgusted with him. He was like, You'll never fight in the UFC. Again. Kyle Nelson stepped in on that one. So yeah, yeah, right. So now it's like, Nan, I just lost this opportunity at 55. The UFC told me they won't take me back. He joins the PFL tournament, goes 0 2 in PFL, wins one on the Ontario regional scene. And then tells his manager, put me on that list for 155 pounds. So he's been waiting for this fight for two months. Training, mostly dieting. He's got to stay in shape so he can make 155 pounds. And the call just never comes. So then he tells his manager, he's like, listen, I I can't keep on weight. I'm going to have to move up to 170. I can't keep on weight. Fight comes in at 170. Ronson takes it. Ronson wants to fight so bad in the UFC. He'd fight if they offered him a fight. If he was fighting Jake fucking Collier at heavyweight, (laughs) we'll get to that one. He would, he would have taken it. He just really wants to be here. It's just there is that hurdle of what's he going to do when he gets here. That's not even, that hurdle is something I'm thinking about, but more so than that is the size disparity. 
Dolby can't make 55. Dolby's a big welterweight. Ronson, big wel- big lightweight, not a big welterweight. And he has a very poor track record at 170 pounds. So keep in mind, he loses to Brazeros, loses to Francisco Trinaldo, loses to Kevin Lee. Those are bona fide lightweights, by the way. But loses to the three of them, gets released from the promotion. The first time he decided to fight at 170 pounds, this is his welterweight debut against Matt McGrath, 17 and 8 in Canada. He lost a decision. Then he fought Matt Dwyer, UFC veteran, at 170 pounds, and he lost. He drops down to 55 and he goes back on his run. But then you look at his last PFL fight. He stepped up against Nikolai Lexikin and looked big time out of sorts, knocked out 170 pounds. I think his official record at welterweight is one in three. Every time he loses at welterweight, he makes a big social media post of, I am never doing that again. I'm a 55er. I'll never take a 175. I tell myself every time I drink. Right, and then he goes, he goes, well, you know, unless, unless it was the UFC. Unless the big show calls me, then I'd fucking take it. Well, they called him and he took it. But there's no denying that. He, by his own words, I'm just going to dump the clip. The UFC doesn't want boring fighters. They want action fighters. I'm just going to go for the finish. I'm just going to go for it. I don't know. I think Dolby is eventually just going to get a hold of him, peel him to the ground. When he gets taken down, then that size discrepancy. Now, mind you, he's a better striker than Dolby. Throws more punches. He's a cleaner striker. But I think the size discrepancy is eventually going to lead this to being more of a grappling fight. And when it is going to be a grappling fight, just like Malcolm Gore. Remember last week I told you with Malcolm Gore? He's not training at any of these mm-hmm. gyms. They're all close versus COVID. These American fighters have been training. These European fighters, they've been training. These Russian fighters, you best goddamn believe. They never stopped. They've been training. Us Canadians have not been fucking training, dude. Like, we can get a win. Tanner Bozer goes and gets that win. But uh, even him, he's like, oh, I haven't really been training. Been running a lot of road. That's why I lost the weight. But, like, it's very hard to train right now. Ronson's in the same boat. He's not training his jiu-jitsu with anybody. He's not training his wrestling with anybody. He's staying at home. He's lifting weights. He's trying to make weight. He just got to Abu Dhabi two weeks ago. They put him right in the hotel room. He's had to quarantine. He hasn't mm. seen anybody. He's been stuck in a hotel room, cutting weight all by himself. Now it's not 55, so it's not so bad. He'd be able to make 170. But it's like that's recipe for like it's going to take him a little bit to get going, and Dolby's are going to be all over him. 255, bad price tag. Dolby by decision is what I'm looking at. And yeah, like I hate to fade my boy Ronson, but it's just a, it's just he'll lose this fight, and then he'll they'll give him a fight at 155, and hopefully it's a good fight, and he'll be able to show a much better version of himself. But he has struggled largely versus size discrepancies when fighting at welterweight, and that's what's going to happen here, I think. Dolby by decision is minus 110. Well, that's almost even money. So I don't like 255, but I would love a near-even money pick. And That seems fair. R- Ronson, Ronson went the distance with Nathan, Nathan Schultz, who's the two-time PFL lightweight Unless champion. He tries to, I mean, that's he went 50-50. The, he's been, he, Ronson may come out there, try to dump the clip, as you just said, um, and then he'll get finished probably in the second or third round. But I, minus 110, that's 50-50 shot. Um Seems reasonable for a Nicholas Dalby fight that him by decision when he's a minus two thir- or 255 favorite. Seems like a pretty reasonable line to me if you like Dalby. Dalby's finishes that have come on the regional scene, late round three, round four, title fights, right? Mm-hmm. Where he grinds you down and gets you later. So that won't happen against Ronson. Ronson's also got eight pro losses. He's, oh, been, he's been finished twice, right? None of which have been by submission. One against uh, Mike Ricci, who's a fantastic striker, especially back in the day when he was confident in himself. And the last one against Alexikin, who's a fucking badass, at 170. So I don't think he has durability issues. And I think Dalby probably just grinds him out, takes that decision for over 15. Tom Aspinall, minus 230 favor, taking on Jake Collier, plus 190. You said, we're going to talk all about that. We'll have a way. Yeah, well, okay, so it's, it seems very straightforward. Tom Aspinall is going to win this fight, but it don't, then, then you realize, ooh, this is probably a trap line. Jake Collier hasn't fought in the UFC in nearly three years. When Jake Collier was fighting in the UFC, he was a middleweight. He could fight at light heavyweight, didn't seem totally out of place. 
But as far as him coming back as a heavyweight, what's he going to look like? And he's six foot three. He's got the kind of height that would suggest he could fight a heavyweight. He's got the kind of reach that would suggest he could fight a heavyweight. But again, like, is he just going to be one of these guys like, uh, uh, okay, there's two examples of like guys moving up and being, you know, Max Christian is a light heavyweight fighting heavyweight and is just very, very small. Mm-hmm. And then, like but you were saying, John Volante. Three years off, John maybe Volante, he's gotten big. Yeah, John Volante, meanwhile, looks really fat. Now we were talking earlier about you know world class guys like Ryan Bayer, Daniel Cormier. Now they're 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 not they're going to do the right moves, and when they're jumping up a weight class, yeah, they have dietitians. They yeah, have- with Jay Collier, it's like I don't know. He used to train at Pat Smith's gym in Colorado, like I or sorry, and now he's in Missouri, and now he move around. Sometimes he's, he'll go back to Denver and spend some time. Sometimes he's back home. The layoff in itself is a big problem. It all just looks like, ooh, this is bad news. Tom Aspinall, meanwhile, is not just oh, well, I mean, Jay Collier's fighting heavyweight. Like he's six foot five. You know, he's a big boy. And he finishes dudes early. This is going to be a DraftKings uh, um, fight for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Because Tom Aspinall, like you said, he finishes guys fast. He when he was tr- having trouble getting MMA fights, so he just took a pro boxing match and knocked the guy out in the first round. The guy's big. He's got good hands. He's fast. He's agile for a heavyweight. He seems like a decently exciting enough prospect. One of his losses, but it's disqualification. So again, here's a guy that... Uh, looks looks like he's building up a nice little resume for himself. The problem is that he hasn't quite built up that resume for himself. His takedown defense doesn't look all that good. And one thing about Collier is that Collier is not above maybe going out there, grinding him, and taking him down. Tom Aspinall is one of the training partners for Darren Till, right? They're team Cowabon ta- guys. And with Darren Till being the night's main event, Tom Aspinall, six foot five, exciting little looking heavyweight or big heavyweight with a nice little record on him. Let's give this guy a shot. You give him Jake Collier. Jake Collier, it, this, this almost has like showcase written all over it. Tom Aspinall should go in and show the world, hey, I'm on the scene now. A nice, promising, young heavyweight. Got some size, got some power, got some speed. Let's build up on this guy. Jake Collier hasn't fought here in three years. He shouldn't be at heavyweight anyway. Right? Easy? But it's like C- Collier's been to the dance. He's fought in the UFC. He's coming off a win. He's not damaged goods. And he's been on for three years. He's not overly old. He's just been on for three years. Who's to say he's not one of these guys that just filled out and has a better ground game mm-hmm. and has more veteran? Watch the weigh-ins. Yeah, on this yeah, one. yeah. I, I would say, I would say it's got I mean, trap if he, line. If he shows up looking it. like Jean Volante, you know what to do. He's going to be bigger than Collier, but Collier is a gamer, man. Like one thing about him, dude's there to fight. Yeah, big and like bloated are totally different. Like when you saw Jean, you're like, oh, he's, he's this is not going to be a good time. This is just a guy who just ate pasta and pizza for the last four months and was just like, I need a paycheck. Let's fight at heavyweight. Three years off, maybe he's just like, maybe he's just over the weight cut. Maybe he had some sort of issues with the weight cut. And he's just like, I'm just going au natural now. We'll see. Yeah, um, yeah you'll be able to tell cut. at the weigh-ins whether the guy looks like somebody who took the time and this was a thoughtful move or whether he just, you know, didn't stop eating. Uh, Mosar Evloev takes on Mike Grundy. Evloev minus 195, Grundy plus 170. What's your take here? I like Mosar Evloev. At some point, this guy's going to let me down. I've been high on him, and I've been high on him, and he, he's winning these fights in the UFC, but he doesn't look like Chimaev out there. He's not ragdolling these guys so bad that it's non competitive. Everybody wants some action on him the next time out. It's like he's just a serviceable prospect, building, getting better. I like his wrestling, I like his tenacity. His cardio checks out. His, uh, his striking, not great, but again, he's got more of a willingness to throw now. Seems like he's developed. Developing, getting better, and and adding those little wrinkles to his game. Against Mike Grundy, everybody loved Mike Grundy in his debut against Nad Naramani. And I was on team Nad Naramani. 
I don't think Grundy's all that good. First of all, he's a little bit older. He made his MMA debut at like 29 years old because he's a career wrestler. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's his bread and butter. He's this great wrestler. But wrestling's not always wrestling. You know, There's guys that wrestled in this Dagestani training room for years that can go on and just ragged all these guys for 15 minutes, no problem. And then there's these high-end guys that you know wrestled in junior college or wrestled NCAA. They're all Americans. Or, or they travel on the world level. Yeah, just certain guys not wrestling at that level. So now Grundy is a great wrestler, right? Not only did he is he a Pan American bronze medalist, um, was on a bunch of world teams, is that he's like a, he's a wrestling coach in the UK. You know, guys go out, seek this guy's advice. He's very powerful. He's explosive. He's got a nice little double leg on him, and he's got great wrestling experience. Him coming into the UFC, this is a no-brainer. He's going to be able to use that power, use that stockiness, get these guys to the ground, hold them down, and beat on them. Nadir Armani is a decent enough wrestler, that he'll be able to stuff these shots. This is my opinion at the time. He'll be able to stuff these shots, make this guy work, and then it turns out Grundy can't actually strike. Grundy's got power. But Grundy doesn't set the power up. He doesn't throw combinations. It's one-and-done punching, and like he'd have to just land that one-hitter quitter. First round he goes out, he takes down Nadine Armani right away. Nadine Armani gets back up, and now all of a sudden, Grundy can't take him back down. He's struggling to take him back down. Mm-hmm. And right as I'm rubbing my hands like, oh, baby, what did I tell you? He blasts him with a colossal right hand over the top that just folds Nad Naramani. Nad comes back last weekend against Grant Dawson. Did it look like he knew how to wrestle? No, no. Grant Dawson made him look like an absolute fish out of water, yet he was stuffing Grundy's shots. He was building on Grundy. And that's the problem here is that Evloev is striking, is developing, it's getting better. Not a great striker. But I think he's going to be able to, A, stuff Grundy's shots, and B, if Grundy does take him down, he's going to make Grundy work, he's going to get this thing back standing, and when he gets back standing, Grundy just doesn't have the tools to win a striking battle for 15 minutes. He'll start to get picked away at, he'll start to get tired, he'll start to get desperate on those takedowns, and I don't think he folds up and gets finished by no means. Evloev has kind of been known to go through the motions, like we are talking about Chimaev. A lot of decisions for most Yeah, Chimaev doesn't look like that standard Russian fighter. Maybe it's all that time in Sweden, they've told him, hey, go for it, and he does go for it, but Evloev knows how to win rounds. He's, he's a master of winning rounds. When I'm betting somebody, I want him to win rounds. So, Evloev 195, not the worst price tag I've seen. Evloev Going to have to chase maybe a little bit of a decision prop and say that uh, Grundy's tough enough to just get tired but not get finished last, and then you can maybe get the over and uh, evolve by decision. That's fair. Tanner Bozer takes on Rafael Pessoa. Bozer, minus 270. Pessoa, plus 230. I don't think that these guys are all that different um, from a style standpoint, and I just think Bozer is the much more effective outside striker. I haven't seen very much power from Pessoa. Um, I don't like the minus 270, especially at heavyweight. Crazy shit can happen, but uh, Bozer's coming off of a fight recently. We've seen him. Obviously, he said that his training camp wasn't good, but at least he was running. He's getting hey, He good looks shape. so good and last he's always, time. He's yeah. always had good three-round cardio. Yeah, yeah, that's um, true. This is one that I'll be interested when Pat has a chance to look up a Bozer by decision. Uh, to get off of that minus 270. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, because it's a heavyweight fight. Um, the, you know, it's not cooked to the fact that both of these guys are kind of decision guys. Bozer by decision is minus 130. Well, there you go. It's not too bad. Yeah, no, no, j- not too bad at all, especially when you consider he's 270 on the money line. And this is a guy. He doesn't finish. My, I know he finished last <laughs> yeah, time. But that's out, why but you're getting a decent price on this, exactly. is that he's gone to decision so many times. There's no way he's going to knock out Felipe Linz. And then when he does, it's like, dude is a KO machine. It's like, whoa, whoa. Why is he a KO machine all of a sudden? He knocked out Felipe Linz. Um, 
Honestly, I think this fight plays out similar to Lin's fight without the KO. It's just he's a lot faster than him. He stays to the outside. He's going to be able to, to hit him up. I picked Lin's. I went on the record, took Felipe Lin's. What I thought, especially with the smaller cage what they were using at the apex, is that Bozier's not going to have that room to move laterally side to side. I mean, he's going to be forced to fight. Turns out, forced him to fight actually pretty good. He was forced to throw his hands, and boy, oh boy, turns out Tanner Bozier can throw his hands. But Linz is a bigger, plodding heavyweight, right? He's a former 205-er, and I think he weighed in at that fight. I want to say he came in at... Uh, 234, okay, pretty light. So he comes in at 234. He's more of a mobile heavyweight. And Tanner Bozer is normally fighting bigger guys where he's always the faster guy. You see in that fight, even against a smaller mobile heavyweight like Linz, he's quicker than him. Pessoa comes in at 265. Pessoa's a big guy. Pessoa, like you said, not really known for that power, but he's a. He, if you're going to be that big, you got to rely, you know what? When I do hit this guy, I'm going to do a cr- tremendous amount of damage. Pessoa more, just like, he's he's... He's a generalist, you know? He's got some skills everywhere, but he doesn't really go out and smith guys. He's not really going KOing guys. He's durable enough. He gives a good account of himself. He's there to give you some rounds. I think that Bozer is just too fast, and it'll have the output on him. One thing with Pessoa that, that you really bear keeping in mind here is that the fight with Cyril Gagne, whatever, he gets submitted really fast. Mm-hmm. The fight with Jeff Hughes, right? Jeff Hughes had pr- pr- previously fought Maureen Screen and thrown like 100 significant strikes, right? In this fight, Hughes just opted not to throw anything. So Pessoa gets the job done with 39 significant strikes. Stays, stays there. Lands a couple Bozer strikes here and there, and that's a lot it. More Bozer that. will throw 100 significant strikes. Against Daniel Speets, he landed over 100 significant strikes. His, last, his next fight, he didn't get dusted out in the first round by Gagne. He went the fucking distance with Gagne. And then he gives a, a great um, outing against Felipe Linz, where he shows maybe he does have a little bit of power. Mm-hmm. This guy's growing. This guy's building. Like we talked about, maybe training's not ideal, but because he just fought, he's got that in the bank. And also, he's developing a decent record. He's like... 18 and 8. He's getting fights under his belt. He's getting comfortable with, with the UFC experience, the traveling experience, taking these fights. He's on social media asking, hey, I'll fight this guy. Hey, keep me active. I'll fight on this card. This guy wants it. This guy's growing. I think he does enough to outpoint him. And I say outpoint because that's what I'm going to look for is I don't like Tanner Bowser 270. Let's be real. I got him winning. I just I wouldn't I wouldn't bet him against 270 pretty much over anybody in the division. But by decision, I like that. 135 just goes through the motions, outpoints this guy, throws more strikes. And, uh, and gets the nod. We got Panny Kianza taking on Beche Kohea. Panny Kianza minus 150, Beche Kohea plus 130. Got any thoughts about this one? Yeah, this one's going to have to be a hard pass for me. I, I am going to go with Panny Kianza. The problem is, is that I just don't know that if she's going to be able to stick to her game plan for the course of 15 minutes. Beche is not overly talented, but she just turns fights into sloppy kind of dog fights. She gets it up against the cage. She holds it. She's very strong. Very, she, she's got a... A strong build, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. She's she's strong, she's powerful, but she's also, I think, now 37 years old, and she just hasn't really looked all that good in, in time. I think you can make a very strong argument that Betchko had never really looked good in the UFC. She's got a couple um, name yeah. wins in the she UFC. She took out Baszler, she took out Jasmine Duke. <laughs> oh, yeah, those, those are the big finishes when she was calling out Ronda. And prior after the Ronda fight, she's got the win over Jessica I, which because Jessica I ended up challenging for a title looks impressive enough. And she's got the win over Sahara Eubanks, her last time out, which came in as a sizable underdog. But that is why I'm hitting a pass on this. Eubanks is a more skilled fighter. Eubanks has sharper striking. She's bigger than her. She has better grappling. She's a better wrestler. But once you make it a dirty she's not bigger than Betch. Oh, I don't know, fought at 125. Betch is, like, thick, man. <sighs> Betch is definitely bigger now. Okay, Betch is big in the ace. I think we can all agree yes. on that. Serge Eubanks is fucking jacked, man. A- anyways, regardless of a size discrepancy or not, I think Eubanks had a lot of, a lot of pass to victory in that fight and then came in as a sizable enough favorite 
which is it gets into just an ugly, dirty fight. And it's easy to laugh at Betcha and how bad she looks, but she fights top contenders. Like her fights are Jessica I, Holly Holm, Irene Aldana, Raquel Pennington, Ronda Rousey at the time, who was number one. Like at least she's not taking the easy way out. She's fighting top ranked contenders. Um, when I think about Penny Kianzad is that she's honestly been a bust right from the get-go. This was a girl that was undefeated on the European regional scene and it looked like sky's the limit for her. Comes to the UFC and then that Tanya Evinger fight, geez, who would have thought that coming? But it was the Raquel, she's not listed as Raquel Canudo. She used to be Raquel Paliqui. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. She's fucking five and five and just bullies her and submits her. It's just like, uh-oh. And then her next fight is Kaufman, who Kaufman is a good fighter. Why would they give her that fight? She loses. And that's a three-fight losing streak. She had to go to the regional scene Build herself back up, gets on the Ultimate Fighter, didn't look great in the Ultimate Fighter, and then got smoked out by Macy Chason, who's very large. Let's be honest. It was probably a tough fight. But Chason hasn't looked good since then. Keep in mind. And then and then it's the same thing. Okay, she she didn't look good against Julia Vila, but Julia Vila's a top fighter. And she looked good against Jesse Rose Clark, who shouldn't really be fighting that high up anyways and didn't give a good account of herself. It's hard to gauge Panny. She's got skills. At times there are some glimpses. She does look okay, but at times she's there to get exposed. And Betchkahea is not very good. But the way she does win is just make these dirty Ugly, an scrap. ugly, ugly scrap. Do exactly the fence. that. And like you're saying, pull a Kamar, a 30% Uzman, where it's a lot of cage work. And <laughs> I don't know if her foot stomps are as effective, but. Uh, no, but but you mentioned that Betchkahea is she, she's strong, and that's one of her benefits is that she can wrestle you up, or not wrestle you up, but she can grind you up. Yeah, and she, she'll press you up against the cage, and she'll make this a dirty fight. And Panny has struggled. With aggressiveness in the past, when she's not the bigger, stronger fighter, maybe she folds up a little bit. I think mentality plays a big part in Penny Kianzet, whether she's on or she's off. She gets her way early in the fight. She grows in confidence. She has her way. As long as she, she faces a little bit of adversity, it doesn't go quite well for her. So I, I got to hit a fat pass on that. Minus 150, not feeling it. I got fight going the distance. That ain't going to pay you shit. So I, I'm going to have to say in a 15-fight slate, I feel comfortable with just moving on from this one. Yeah, we got Ramazan Amiyev taking on Nicholas Stoltz. I don't even know who this Stoltz guy is yet. Uh, obviously, an extra guy I have to look at in my uh, in my tape this week. But Amiyev obviously coming off of the loss to Tony Martin. I mean, most of his fights go to decision. It's low volume, but he's quite... I mean, you were talking about Evolev earlier in terms of, like, the guy knows how to win rounds. Yeah, Usually no, Usually that's the case. Amiv, that's exactly how he fights. He's a decision exactly. machine. Yeah. Uh, I imagine the books are wise to it at this point. I don't know much about Stoltz, but Amiv fights. He usually wins by decision. Um, uh, what, what can you tell me about this guy, Stoltz? Well, Stoltz is actually probably the better striker. You know, German striker, flashy enough, has some good power. I think if Amiv decided to stand and strike with him for 15 minutes, that, yeah, Stoltz could definitely win this fight. Thing is, Amiv doesn't choose to do that with anybody. He fights to his game plan, and his game plan is extremely boring. It's press you up against the cage and grind you. If he can take you down, he'll take you down. If he can take you down, it doesn't fucking matter. It's basic in his mind, it's like, hey, if I take him down, then... I'm on top and he's on the bottom. Okay, I, I, but if I'm against the cage, well, basically I'm on top and he's on the bottom. We're just fucking in a we're in a standing position now, right? And he can't really submit me from here. Yeah, and it's just like, well, cut me. I'm winning fights. Like I don't know. I have to imagine the UFC's like, hey, dude, at some point you're gonna have to do something. However, this is what he does, and I think you can look at well, you know. Some of these unknown guys have a striking advantage. Listen, Stefan Sekulic is pretty much the same thing. He came in as a minus 700 favorite over Sekulic and just mm-hmm. grinded him down, right? This is the same thing here. It's like, oh, wow, geez, you know what? I don't, I don't really mind this Nicholas Stolze. Like, maybe he can land something. Maybe maybe he can, you know, he's he's aggressive and he's a little bit faster and he can pressure a little bit. But it's like, nah, man. I mean, he's just got a, a stifling type game. Tony Martin, 
fights a similar stifling type game. So it didn't work against Tony Martin. And that's why Amiv loses that fight, sure. But everybody else, it's just like rinse and repeat. This is what he does. Now, minus 400 is not the kind of price tag I want on a guy. That That's all he does. Because at any point, you can get two bad judges that say, oh, fuck, the guy didn't really do anything. You know, the German guy landed some decent strikes. German guy actually landed the more telling blows of the fight. And then Amiv just pressed him up against the cage for four minutes. Like, yeah, I don't know. Most judges are going to give the guy pressing up the action, right? Mm-hmm. Some guys don't. Minus 400 is a risky price tag when you're not dominating. When you're not taking guys down. When you're not absolutely defeating them pillar to post and you're not threatening finishes. It's a bit of a risky price tag. I would say Amiv by decision. That's what he always does. Better than 400. But again, the bookie's wise enough to that that you're not going to go with that. And as far as Stoltz goes, like, he's not that he's got durability problems. It's just that Amiv has gone to decision with worse guys than this on the basis of he's not really trying to finish you. He's no. mostly just trying to secure two rounds so that even if he did get tired, on the third round you start bombing on him, so what does he do? Well, I'm just going to go defensive wrestling and press you up against the cage because now you're swinging for the fences. Mm-hmm. It's just it's all part of a repetitive game plan of winning. I love betting on winners, but it is a, it is a boring style. You're not going to make a whole lot of fans. 400 is a bad price tag. Yeah, I got to go Amiv by decision. Yeah. What is Amiv by decision? Is that up there, Pat? Oh, yeah. uh, it is minus 160. Oh, that's infinitely better. Infinitely better. Infinitely. I, I'm actually looking just the way that you described him. This Stoltz guy at 6,800 bucks on DK. Like, yeah, if and he listen, act, he throws. If he's the more active guy, and yeah. he can get a win. He's 6,800 bucks. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think he's, I think he's a live dog in the sense that he is a finisher. He's going to go for it. But when you look at his record, that's, that's the, the tail, tail, uh, the, the. What is tale it? of the tape? Well, the, yeah, I don't know. It's the telltale. I, don't know I think what that's you're what to say. I was trying to say the telltale. The telltale is, and you look at the opponents. It's like. He just fights low-end opponent. His, his last loss, Pat, right, happened three years ago, but it's over Chris Stringer. And Chris Stringer's 11 wins, 12 losses. Chris Stringer defeats him by decision. Mm-hmm. And how does he defeat him? By fucking out grappling him. And it may even be the same thing. He's just going to grapple him, and he's going to win a decision. Yeah, Stoltz, I guess his problem is that he's taking on a guy who actively just tries to kill all DraftKings points. Yeah, I mean, is I, I got some questions here at the end. Once we get to draft, yeah, we have like some of these, some of these like super high price guys seems like they're going to score yeah. like. Let's just 50 finish points. the slate first, though. <laughs> well, okay, so but just to answer that, and we'll definitely you- move on. But with 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 Nicholas Stoltz, right? He's the he's a short nose replacement for this Rachmanov. Rachmanov's fuck apparently the tits. So they were setting up a meme like, all right, you decision motherfucker, you <laughs> lost to Tony Martin. Let's get you exposed real quick, and then you're getting cut. Just so happens the MMA gods tossed him a bone, and now he's not getting a Russian murderer. He's getting a, well, a tough German fighter, but just it plays stylistically. It play, this one plays into his hands. Nathaniel Wood, John Castaneda, minus 475, plus 380. Any thoughts there? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you go Nathaniel Wood is the better fighter. Nathaniel Wood wins this fight. Again, though, they're giving you a bad price tag mm-hmm. considering that he's going to fall in the category of a risky fighter. Nathaniel Wood is very exciting. When you're that exciting, you're young, you're developing, you do leave some holes here and there, but he leaves some glaring holes. And yeah, top guys are going to be able to take advantage of him. But it's like a body of work almost, right? People people love uh, Nathaniel Wood from that epic Cage Warriors fight where it's literally like fight of the year. He's out on his feet three times and comes back and gets the KO win. Crazy win for Nathaniel Wood. But we all remember him coming in uh, in his UFC debut, and for whatever reason, Johnny Eduardo shoots that takedown, right? But prior to that, Johnny Eduardo was touching him up. Johnny Eduardo was hurting him standing. Oh, that one hurt so much. Well, we had Nathaniel Wood. We were very oh, happy. No, no. Oh, I you had, had Eduardo. because I, I was just like, Dude, he was kicking his Eduardo, ass. <laughs> Eduardo will piece this guy up on the feet. He's totally kicking his ass. 
And then what? Eduardo goes for the takedown, gets submitted. He shot for a takedown, and you're like, Darcy. And it made no Round, sense. It's like There's it's Ron like Johnny Eduardo. He's like, I haven't fought in a long time, and my paycheck isn't quite enough. I'm gonna bet my opponent in round two, dude. That, that's what that it looked was, like. That, that was the theory. Was Everyone was like, like okay, so it was like a plus so two twenty underdog. I was, I was ready to just cash it. I was just like, oh, we got this. Just keep doing the same thing. Oh God, he's dead. Yeah. So, well, John, dead, so Johnny Eduardo's touching him up. It's like, oh man, this is kind of his problem in cage wars. The guy's too hittable. And then since then, same thing in the UFC. It's like these guys are hitting him. And then John Dodson finally faded him. Nathaniel Wood his last time against John Dodson, where you don't want to be letting John Dodson land any type of clean blow at you on you no. at any point, because if anything. The guy still does got some decent amount of pow-pow. And that's the thing. He lines Nathaniel Wood up and he hits him. It's like, geez, what's Nathaniel Wood's prom? Just very hittable. Well, how do you how do you improve that? Then Years the light of experience. Yeah, the light went off in my head. I was like, oh fuck. Nathaniel Wood is the prodigy. Brad Pickett. Yeah, who just did the same thing. <laughs> he just couldn't defend fucking punches. He could hit you. He just could not defend how punches. How long do you think Nathaniel Wood can keep the nickname the prospect? I feel like... Wow, losing to Dodson, he's still a prospect. He's only 26. You know, you beat Castaneda, who's a prospect as well. If you lose to Castaneda, are we dropping the nickname? I would say so. Yeah, yeah. And mind you, the UFC was already looking to drop it because they had him set up against Umar Nurmagomedov, but because of obviously... Uh, uh, Abdul Manap, rest yeah, in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. The, a lot of the team was just like, we're not going to take fights right now. And so he's off the fight. Now he gets John Castaneda, who's, who's talented, but does not pose the same threats. So... If we're worried about Nathaniel Wood's chin, that's literally the only thing I'm worried about. His striking's good. His striking offense is good. His grappling is good. His wrestling, pretty decent. His cardio, good. His heart, good. It's just that that punch in the face puts you down, and that's a big problem. But very similar to how we publicly backed Jared Gordon. It's like, dude, give him a guy that doesn't hit, and he doesn't have to worry about the chin. If he doesn't have to worry about the chin, he's going to win. Chris Fishgold doesn't hit. He's not a hitter. He's not going to be able to knock out Gordon. Gordon will have his way. I, I think the same thing here. John Casanata is not a hitter. He doesn't knock out Nathaniel Wood. I've seen rumblings about him being pretty solid, like, amateur wrestler. Is that true? Uh, you know what? I have to do more research on it. Right, right. This is the 15th fight on the card. So. Yeah, it's the 15th fight. It's on the, it's on the bottom portion for sure. And listen, he, I, I would say, yeah, no, he knows how to wrestle. Amateur wrestling, does it doesn't really matter. The main thing that we got to look at his body of work is it goes back to quality of opponents. Here's a guy that's fighting in Combache Americas and losing to Jose Alde two fights ago. Lost all day. He lost yeah, all day. He lost all day by split. Prior to that, he lost to Levy Saul Moroccan in Combache Americas by decision. So here's two guys, Spanish fighters, you've never fucking heard of, right? Did they have a problem with his amateur wrestling pedigree? No. I feel like I've seen Jose Hall. Who else has Jose Alday fought? I feel like I've seen that Well, I watch Kombachi, so I'm familiar with Looking through topology and finding all the goodies. Okay, he lost to your boy, Joby Sanchez. Maybe that's got a couple. It. He's got a couple fights with uh, Gustavo Lopez. Okay, I, I've definitely seen that name before, and it's probably when looking up. He lost to the great Japanese grappling machine Masakatsu Ueda back in 2016 in Pancreas. Okay, yeah, it would have been Gustavo Lopez, I guess. Gustavo Lopez tape is where I came across. Likely, likely where you saw him. In fact, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I I just think that's the level where he's been fighting, and he's been losing at that level. He's one and two in his last three fights all signed under the Kombachi Americas promotion, and now he's jumping up to taking on Nathaniel Wood. Nathaniel Wood, oh, man, he's chinny. Oh, man, maybe the wrestling. He did, just lost to John Dodson. Get the fuck out of here. He lost to a former title challenger. Top 10 guy. Yeah, yeah, and I use the term perennial, as in he's been a top 10 guy for, like, fucking 10 years. Yeah. 
He's no joke, right? No. Nathaniel Wood doesn't get hit by that shot. He's going to push the pace. He's going to push the action. He's going to land the, the more telling blows and uh, stay out of the way of that big shot, right? Because, again, Castaneda is not a power puncher. He hasn't knocked out a guy in over three years. And a lot of his fights on his record decisions and submissions. That should play out enough for Nathaniel Wood. It's the 475 that I do have. At least with Gordon, they gave us 145. 145, little Cody's going to be on it all day. 475, it's like, ah, God damn it. I do expect it to maybe come down a little bit closer to fight time from people just saying, "Eh, give me the big dog over a guy that got knocked out a couple times. But it's probably priced somewhat accurately, Mm -hmm. especially if he didn't have a chin issue, that, that price all day. But it's that little bit of worry of this guy is very hittable and maybe that presents a bit of a problem. Um, DraftKings breakdown. 15 fights on the card. Much less duplication of lineups. Ownership on certain people, you would have to think, is going to be spread out quite a bit. We've never had a fifth. Like, we get the the odd 13. Usually they're 12. Sometimes they're 11. But 15 fight card, I'm sh- maybe at some point in time there that's happened. I can't remember a time that it's happened, though. So uh, how do we want to go about this? Do we want to just go through ranges, maybe? Bring up uh, board number one there, Pat? Well, Pat just got some questions. Pat trying to fill out his DraftKings lineup yeah, right, right, right. now. All right, let's, let's hear it. Yeah. Okay, so the expensive guys at the top. Like, mm-hmm. I want to play everything you said. I want to play Chimea, right? I mean, he's ninety eight hundred dollars. So. He's the safe. Like, yeah, like, I'm gonna say is, no. He's the, the safest. He tries to take people down immediately, the and then he tries to advance immediately. He's who, like a, throw out the price on everyone. Who is the best player on this card? Yeah, him. He's twelve to one. And, and how much better of a play is he than everyone else? I think he's the yeah best play by a, a moon. Like, like he's by a lot. He's better than three hundred dollars. But more he's, than he is expensive. I'm not the best in terms of like no, the pricing difference. But like I'm going to be playing him because hopefully less people. If we only had twelve people on this or twelve fights on this card, you know, you, this guy would be like 80 percent with fifteen fights. It may actually end up being less ownership than you would usually see from him. Right, right. And if I can interject there, yeah, oh, geez, he's $9,800. I don't know. Okay, so the $300 cheaper is Nathaniel Wood, who could, ha- could score a lot, no doubt about it. But Ameeve at $9,400, dude, his career average is 51 points. Yeah, he doesn't he's, score. He doesn't score. He's $9,400. So you pass on him. Gustafson's $9,300. I want no part in that. And I no. do think this is going to be so a lot of question decision. marks with him moving up to heavyweight. Dolby's career points per average is 48. He's a grinder. He's not going yeah. big either. Mazwari Vloev is going to be grappler versus grappler. He's not a striker that'll land more than 40 or 50 significant strikes. Marcio Hua is going to be in a fucking dead dog slow fight. Could be. And then, and then you have Tanner Bowser, 8,900. Not a finisher. We not did, a knockout. We just guy. talked about how we like him by Contrary, decision at minus right. 130. Tom Aspinall could be a massive apple pie shader. Alex Oliveira has tons of question marks. And then Marina Rodriguez at 8,600. Yeah, I don't like, mind that. So it's like, dude, that's $1,200. He's expensive, cheaper, so. but it's like, who else do you really feel great about spending? Nathaniel Wood, I think, 9,500. He could be the sneaky one because people, I mean, people aren't going to have, it's probably going to be very rare. I don't even know if you can do it. Like Nathaniel Wood and Kimaev in a lineup, you're gonna have to like really scrape the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, who do we who are we going with at the bottom? Is the thing like it seems like the favorites, I kind of liked Grundy before talking to you. I don't like Grundy at all. Yeah, yeah. I thought maybe the wrestling would be negated, and maybe he just he catches him. Like I thought I only, no I Russian play, I play never single entry. Like pr- that's pretty much my strategy. I play single entry um, DraftKings, so I'm willing to take some risk. I sure. mean. The the mid range here we've got Gadzan Nigula versus Paul the Bear Jew Craig. 
Craig doesn't average all that much. He usually finishes like rounds two or three. If Gads wins, it's going to be in the first like three, four minutes. So he'll get that first round finish. I mean, I think both of those guys are pretty solid plays because if he doesn't get that finish, obviously um, he just crumbles and dies. So I think those guys at that price are pretty good. When we go a little bit lower, uh, Jake Collier, if he looks good at the weigh-ins, 7,400. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe he's made the right moves to move up to uh, 265 pounds. We will only be able to really know that uh, by seeing him on the scales. Yeah, you like anybody down low? Well, yeah. I mean, you're going to have to save some money on the lower end. And so mm-hmm. the lower end has a problem just like the high end. It's just like, man, I don't, don't want to reason McKee because lying on your back and getting throttled for fucking 8 to 15 minutes is not a great way to score points. Castanada, he's live in the sense that if you're banking on, maybe his opponent has a bit of a chin issue. Maybe he's live like that. I, I'm just not. Stoltz is fighting a smothering type game. I don't like it. Fabricio Verdum is way too slow to catch this guy. But I don't hate Verdum as a cheap punt. As a punt. I don't know if I'm going to be playing you single entry, but in the, in the like, in Absolutely. MME, like, or, like, Absolutely. if and you have, like, a 20-entry max, maybe adding, yeah, getting over, like, 20, 25% of him will put you probably twice feel, I don't know. With 15 fights, it's hard to know where ownership will lay, but. Yeah, for sure. Pat, Pat hits me up the other day, and he says, uh, well, what do you think about this guy's a play? I said, well, here's the thing. He's not going to score shit. And Pat says, it doesn't matter. He needs to win. That's the main thing. Is he going to win? So sometimes we look at this, and this is a decision-filled card. In my opinion, there's going to be a lot of decisions mm-hmm. on this, baby. So, yeah, when you're looking at these cheap guys, it's not necessarily, oh, man, dude, if Peter Sabota wins, he might score fucking 60 points. It's like a win is a win when there's going to be a lot of decisions. And so what I'm saying for, the, for at least, and I know I've picked a lot against a lot of these guys as far as money line, but if you're looking for value on the, on the DraftKings side of things, I think Collier, you wait for weigh-ins. I think Sabota, because... Honestly, he does got decent enough output. And Alex Oliveira, known to shit the bed. If he gets on Alex Oliveira's back, he, he chokes him out. Mm-hmm. That would be big for you. Yeah. Carlos Spars at 7,600, at least one thing. It's at like least she did. will try to grind this girl. I thought about that too. If she I'm... does get takedowns, it would be big. Herbert, a little bit. Let me, fuck, it's a Let me say game. something about Esparza yeah. quickly, though. I think I've thought that so many times, and she's just so disappointing. Because when she does get the takedown, she doesn't. Uh, she doesn't advance. She just hangs out right in your Pat guard. Pat said he wanted to win, man. He no, didn't want 100 but points like, on Carlos but when she does, Even when she does win, she scores like 60 points in the win. I I mean, that's not going to kill you, but at 7,600, 15 fights on the card, I just don't think the ceiling's there for her. So, when I'm looking through this, like if I take uh, Chimeov at the top, you mm-hmm. have... $8,000 average for yeah. the rest of your people. Then you take a guy from the Craig versus Anti-Gulov fight. But I'm not even saying that. Like, What you can do is you take one of these guys that you just talked about, whether it's Collier after weigh-ins, whether it's uh, Peter Spavoda over here, or whoever it is at the bottom at you know, 75, 74. Then you get up a little bit. Then your average price is all of a sudden like yeah. 83, 84. It's manageable for sure. But it doesn't seem like any of these guys that are 87, 86, 85 are like worth taking. Like It, it seems There's like... There's a lot of decisions on the card. It seems like that if you take the top end guy, I would just pair him with another 9K guy who has the highest output and just kind of swing for the fences in the sevens. So, okay. So what happens if you match Nathaniel Wood... And Kimaev in a lineup. You're probably bottom of the barrel. You got 7,600 left each. Okay. And then you add in Collier if he looks good on the weigh-ins. You're starting to get there. You know what? This is, I'll leave you with this. It's Pat, Because Pat likes this kind of stuff. So uh, with Carlos Sparza, right? I'm talking myself into a DK Sparza play, I think. Uh, with Carlos Sparza, this is her log. These are her UFC fights, okay? Joanne and Jacek, she took her down once. 
Lima, she took her down five times. Ronda Marcos took her down four times. Marina Moroz took her down six times. Uh, Calvillo, who's a How fucking good wrestler. Did she score? How much did she score Hold in up. these fights, though? 80, 81, 69. Those will do. Claudia Gadelia, she took us down twice. Now, mind you, Claudia Gadelia is a fucking good grappler. BJJ mm-hmm. Black Belt took her down twice. Calvillo, fucking good wrestler, took her down twice. Uh, Ronda Marcos, good wrestler, took her down four times. Yodan Jacek took her down once, right? Jada Genova took it down four times. Grosso took it down four times. Michelle Watterson took it down once. The only person that she has not taken down in her UFC career is the great Tatiana Suarez, which, as Paul could tell you all day about, ain't gonna fucking happen. So, really, she completes takedowns in every single one of her fights, at least a few, win or lose. And that becomes especially important when you look at Rodriguez, who gives up takedowns in her fights and struggles when she does give up the takedowns. So if you're looking at somebody that might be able to go get you a few takedowns and grind out a nice little decision and pop, you know, she got 57 over Watterson with one takedown, right? Against Grosso, four takedowns. Janet Genova, four takedowns. She scores 76 and 80. So if she gets one takedown against Rodriguez, you're right. She's looking closer to 50 points. If she gets her wrestling going and she can get a couple takedowns against Rodriguez. She can get 70, 75, 80. Now the Talks. two draws, the two draws. She's not breaking a hundred, but that you don't necess- you don't need her no, to like, break a hundred. Well, here's the thing: like, how good is her opponent versus like Jay? She's good. Swerve. She's very. Is she's she very. She's she's potentially on that level. So it's the, not an the, easy the, fight. The, the, no, it's not an easy fight at all. The last thing I will cap this with is Marina Rodriguez's two draws in the UFC came to. Ronda Marcos, mm-hmm. and came to Cynthia Calvillo. People who tried to both, utilize the grappling. Those are both Esparza yeah. opponents, okay? Esparza yeah, took fair. down Marcos four times and took down Calvillo twice. She out-wrestled both of them, right? Those are the people that were out-wrestling Rodriguez. Just wait until this uh, one turns into... But that's in. MMA math, dog, so watch out for Just that. Just wait until this one turns into a I draw, talked myself and into both a plays are absolute garbage. Carlos Esparza no- DraftKings. There's nothing, wor- there's nothing worse on DraftKings than a, than a draw. Nobody wins. No, no, no. The one thing about her, like when you look at her, like when she lost to Suarez and Joanna, like she just got tuned. The right best away. of the best. And she scored like eight points. Those are the elites. But even in her other losses, she scored. Yeah. There's a safety with her. When, she when, I, when I look at 76, like there's a certain could, safety with her. She has good durability and she'll probably get a couple takedowns. So 7,600 bucks, man. Not the easiest. But not, yeah, I've been toying around with it. And I'm probably going to... I mean, uh, we didn't even talk about the main main event. I, I'll have Robert Whittaker. Of course. You have to have exposure. Way more volume. They I both mean, price really well. Till, Till could win by knockout, and he'll end up on an optimal if he does. But uh, Whittaker just has way more output. I think he wins this fight. Um, any other questions there, Pat? Yeah, what about James E. Bear? This guy. You said that he has like a any? punching chance? He's got a punching chance in the sense that I think he can do enough to win the decision. But taking out Trinaldo is going to be a task on, on one hand. And the other thing is that Trinaldo's style is if you're winning some exchanges on him and winning rounds, but you're spending three minutes with your back press against the cage, it's just not going to score enough. So I would have to say he's one of those guys that because he's a decent price, he's, he's appealing in that regard. But it'd be just like you said. You'd be looking for a win and a tight, dicey, dirty, grinding win or like a close win as opposed to someone that's going to go out there and push hard and score points the whole, the whole, you know, the whole way through. Why not Verdum just to open it up? Like, I don't hate it. Like, what, what's his percent chance of winning this fight? I mean, honestly. There's so many question marks yeah, on this. Yeah, 20%, yeah. 30%? What at least, at least. And that's why the well, line's off the case, is not bad. I no. know, exactly. I agree. But it, it goes back to if Freeze He could get a first-round submission. You know, that, that he could. He's it's very, cap- like, he's, he's capable, capable of he's capable scoring of. a big, like, he, yeah, he's capable of a first-round submission. 
And it's if you very, play, very possible. If you play him, you can make Wood and Chimeyev work pretty easily. Yeah, I know. With... I'm going to end up with Fabrizio, and he's going to get knocked out in the first round. Yeah. <laughs> no, Gus ain't knocking. Bro, fucking take my word on oh, that. No. Gus ain't knocking. Will him. you do a shoey? Take Gus... it to the bank. If Gus will fucking you? knocks him out, I will take a shoey. You'll take a, you'll take a booty? No, you know Either what? My boot or your boot? No, no. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. That is something a young, immature Cody Saftik three weeks ago would have done. <laughs> But seeing old man Alexei Olenek put the straight heat on him, yeah, <laughs> anybody could theoretically, yeah, you know, he he's he's in his forties, he has so you're one cowering, fight. you're cowering out of this. I just feel like there's a better one to be made. What yeah, I should have done, have to do no, what I should have done is gotten you last week to go head to head with me versus uh, Hermanson versus KG, but. Uh. Lost opportunity. Man, what a spot that, that. Yeah, again, to answer Pat's question, that on, was that was rough. On just uh, looking at it through, like I know I'm not supposed to give out lineups, so I guess I'm not allowed to supposed to give Don't out give lineups. Well, that's as far as I'm making it. I mean, if people points. just listen to that segment, there's a whole bunch of people who are probably in the same realm as us. Uh, so look forward to splitting all of the contest winnings with you. Wow. No, no not with me. I made one, one, one slight tweak. So oh, my sneaky, here after sneaky. So okay. Very quick, let's take Chimeyev out of consideration for any of these. How Just dare you? F- first, first thing that pops to your mind, Paul, we'll start with you. Quickest finish on the card. Ooh. Um, on a decision card? <laughs> I, mean, I hope they finish quicker than you're thinking of this. I mean, it's not so no, fucking no, easy. No, just, no, it's just there's 15 fights a lot to look at. Quickest finish is obviously Andy Gulov versus Paul Craig. Yeah, Someone's it's, fucking it's going. Andy Gulov, and that's, and that's why I've, I've already been telling people all day. I'm going with Andy Gulov. I want that first round finish. If he loses, it loses. I lose all of my DraftKings investment, but I don't I don't play the big, big bucks like some of the guys out there. That The quickest finish is probably coming from that fight. Okay, who throws, I think the, most, so. who throws the most significant strikes? Oh, now we're looking through 15 fights again, Pat. Yeah, I'm going to say Tanner Bozer. Even though he's a heavyweight, that's all he does. And if Basol is just more of a, like a, a still target for him, then he should be able to land 100 significant strikes. If you're looking at other people that throw that many strikes, this is not really the card. I mean, there's a lot of gun-shy fighters I guess Marina Rodriguez could get up there. If she could, but Esparza, again... Esparza's not landing takedowns. Yeah, and Esparza's usually chasing something, which is at least going to slow it down a little bit. Uh, Maybe all- Nathaniel Wood? Yeah, there you go. There's your other one. And because Kazmat Chimaev will throw 100 significant strikes, not standing. They just may not count because they're on the ground. <laughs> well, it depends who's scoring for you. That is for goddamn sure. Fight metric week because, to week, it's tough Because, to man, this guy throws a lot. It's just, yeah, if he hits you 25 times in the face, are they going to give you 25 significant strikes? Or are they going to say, well, you know, only only eight of those are really damaging blows? I don't know. But I would have to say Chimaev's definitely in that category. Maybe a Marina Rodriguez, like Paul said. But I, I would definitely have to say uh, I would think Tanner Bozer and Nathaniel Wood would be the other high-volume guys. And, and Robert Whitaker, five rounds to work with. He's yeah, thrown over 100 I mean, significant strikes skip, in the past. He's most definitely most definitely on that table as well. Most takedowns. Uh, Kamayev. No, I'm sorry, you can't say him. Oh. Yeah, well, and also he might just only need one. Esparza. So I'm going to say, could be Esparza. I'm going to say also Nicholas Dalby is live for that, and I'm going to say Ramazan Amiv is live for that if Stoltz is not, doesn't have the takedown defense, sure. and he'll just do the same thing. Okay, last one. Slowest two fights that just aren't, regardless of winner, just aren't going to score. I have no interest in rostering any sort of piece from Panny Kianza versus Betch Kohea. But that not one, if I had, but it could score. If I had three, if I was a Mormon, had like four wives, 
And I had 600 lineups. Still wouldn't have a taste of that <laughs> right, freaking fuck. I was Mormon. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, honestly, I do see this fight being a slow, trepid type of card. I would say that it's possible that Nogueira and Shogun ends up being slower pace. Both guys respect each other. Both guys know that they got to pace themselves at this stage in the game. It might not might be your most explosive, entertaining type fight. We just talked about Ameev might get a lot of takedowns, but that is earmarked for being a slow grinding type affair and uh, i mentioned francisco trinaldo jay herbert i'm still on the fence of that one i will continue to watch tape all the way up to saturday which i do with all fights every week anyways it's just i'm obsessive like that but it's got it's got writing on the wall that if herbert is gonna win it's not gonna be in some devastating fashion it could be a slower type fight yeah remember to follow cody on twitter at cj saftic and paul at paul shag for the after the weigh-ins type parlays that's always a thing to do for and, sure uh, rate and review the show five stars okay thanks I'll give a PRP real quick yeah, for the OG the PRP fans. Before we get out of here. And I also, mean, I don't even know. It depends so on, undecisive. Many books won't let you parlay this give whole card. Give me a penny. Uh, this whole card. Let me just see one of these pens. Which one? It doesn't matter. Which one's your lucky one? They're both one? black. Does that... Okay, all right. Uh, okay, yeah. So anyways, we got Robert Whitaker. I see this one going the distance. I got Whitaker. So we got a decision and we got a favorite. I'm going to take Shogun. I, I'm leaning towards decision. That's probably stupid considering how old and I can see Shogun just guys are. dusting him, too. But when has he done that? I know, but he's 40. Big Nog's, or Little Nog is 44. Trust me, man. I know. I know. It's like, dicey. We, just, we, I'm we, leaning we dissected that photo of his. I'm leaning towards like decision, and, 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 I, and I got a favorite. We got Gustafson versus Verdum. I'm going with the favorite, Gustafson, and I got a decision. Marina Rodriguez versus Carlos Esparza. If I'm going to end up taking a dog, and I think I made enough valid points that Esparza is a live dog. She does have a shot. She does have a shot. And yes, you would take her by decision. But the show pick is Marina Rodriguez by decision. Paul Craig, I'm going to take Paul Craig inside the distance. Uh, Alex Oliveira by... I'm going to take Alex Oliveira inside the distance too. Kazmat Chemaev, I'm going to have a look at that plus 500 by decision. But as far as the logical choice would go is that he does the same thing. Or him inside the distance. That would be be the logical choice. You can't even throw him on a parlay. No, it's just a waste. You know what? Like no, Paul said, I wouldn't. Need, I, I haven't touched him on a parlay. Most, I was actually looking on one book had him at minus eight hundred a, a day ago, and I was I hadn't gotten too far in my studies here, so I was like trying to like I was like oh I want to parlay you with something, but yeah, but really uh, now that it's moved those four hundred points, it's just like I'm happy to just watch the guy. Uh, just perform. Well, also, we're like, not going to have a good line on him for a while. Like you were saying, I mean, most books are not going to allow you to put 15 tic- uh, fights on a ticket or any any sport on a ticket. You might be able to get 12. You might be able to get 13, 14. Some of them do 15. But again, if you're going to looking to knock something off, you're going to start with the 1200. If you took, let's say you took Robert Whitaker and you took Gustafson and you took Paul Craig and you took Alex Oliveira and you took. Dolby and you took Evloev and you took Bozer. Okay, and you're looking at plus eighteen hundred, right? The simple addition of Chimaev puts you to plus nineteen hundred. It's not worth it. Oh no, dude, don't do it. What are you fucking doing? He slips on the banana peel. You're like, why did I add that? Dog, this is already a seven fight parlay. Don't fucking add any unnecessary risk for next to no value. Just walk away. Or try to take a prop. The, the TKO prop wasn't good, as we talked about. The decision prop was juicy, but was it a good decision? Probably not. Keep that in mind. Yeah, the decision... Like, how... If, 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 if they fought ten times, how many times do you think? 
It, it's a fight. So I would have to say Riz McKee wins one because he either knocks him out with a knee on the way in or he slaps on a triangle. But realistically speaking, 10% is very And then if he generous. wins, so right now it's basically prices if he wins inside the distance uh, 80% of the time. So 8 out of 10 times, not only does he win, but he wins inside the distance. That's just... He, I mean, these, yeah, these these Dagestan. I know he's Chechen, and then he grew up in uh, in Sweden. Yeah, but he's but, got, he had early wrestling roots from that region. Yeah, these guys don't feel the need to rush themselves. They'll they'll finish you to rush if if they, if they if they if they as Bryce Mitchell would say like cook you to the bone. They will finish you. They will they will close the deal. But they don't they don't actively just hunt for it immediately, right? Here's here's my concern, right? He's 6 and 0, never been out of the first round once, right? We all think this could be a nice little prospect, but we don't know. They give him to us for minus 380. Very generous. He looks like a minus 10,000. Now they want you to pay minus 10,000. Like he beat John Phillips. He didn't beat a contender. He didn't beat a guy that has ever been a contender. He didn't beat a guy that's never going to be a contender. And lucky for him, he's got Reese McKee. He's going down a weight class. He should look even better. Now you got a guy who's dropping down. Is that going to change anything? Is it going to affect his cardio? And all, all I'm saying is the guy cruises 1,200. 1, right. you, just, you just want to bail. Going, going beyond that, I am going to take Francisco Trinaldo by decision. I'm going to take uh, Nicholas Dalby by decision. I'm going to take... You gotta watch the weigh-ins for this one. Logical choice is Tom mm-hmm. Aspinall by knockout. I got a sneaky feeling Jake Collier by submission or decision is definitely in the play. Ivlov by decision. Tanner Bozer by decision. All favorites again. I'm gonna go Betch because it's a pass fight. We're all passing on this fight, I think. But you know what? It's a dogger pass. I'm gonna take that plus one thirty dog for the sake of this breakdown. Ramazan and me four hundred. Get that better by taking the by decision. And then Nathaniel Wood four seventy five. The spots that you like, the guys that feel good, are very big price tags. The guys that eh, one seventy five, one eighty five could be dicey situations. I don't love Oliveira, even though he's one seventy five. Who's one eighty five? But that oh Shogun at one eighty five. Like are these guys supposed to be locks? Eve Lowe of one ninety five. Like you know, I I I got him beating Grundy. But is Grundy a joke? Like Grundy's got some I'm concerned about the grappling in that fight. There's concerns in a lot of these fights. It's a 15-fight slate. You can pick and choose the ones you feel the best about. And yeah, good luck to everybody. This is it's a dynamite card. There's a lot of good spots. 15 fights. But a lot of the good spots have been steamed up pretty good. So it looks like we'll be chasing props and just chasing that extra value. Be ready to hang out on your couch hey, well, for a long time. All what? these decisions and 15 fights, this is going to be like a 9-hour card, man. Yeah, 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 it could this could be a very very long card. What time's it start? Be comfortable. I'm not sure. I was wondering if they're going to go early start time. I'm like, oh, never mind, because in Abu Dhabi, it's already like 2 in the morning, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, if you're going to be in the middle of the night anyway, what the fuck's the difference if you yeah. start at 1 or 3? Um, yeah. What about Dolby Evolev Parlay pays like plus 130? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say that's actually a, a good parlay. And you know what? Because I'm a dirty degenerate, I'm going to take them both by decision and get plus money on that parlay. Also, there's a Bellator card on Friday, folks. Let's be real. There's a lot more than 15 fights coming up this weekend. So hit me up on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, let's get the, get the train going. Do, Last card, I mean, the, the, our, our best three fights landed. But it's still, 7-5 is a bad week. So let's Kobe's tighten minus it up. Kobe's 350 at a place I'm looking right now. Yeah. Money's coming in on them. They I must mean, have realized Ronson's been sitting in a hotel room playing classic Nintendo for the last two weeks. Obviously, it's important to... Make most of your wagers at DraftKings Sportsbook. Number one sportsbook. Sometimes it's, it pays to do a little bit of price shopping. I'll just course, say that. Of course. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed this show. Thank you to Pat, producer, or what? Prop producer bet Pat. producer Pat Mayo 
for uh, all his great work back there. Thank you to Cody Safdick for breaking down the fights. As always, for Pat and Cody, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.